Hello, everyone, and welcome to Strictly Anime, a podcast for anime reviews and discussions. My name is Courtney. And I am Carl. This is episode 110, and we're discussing Attack on Titan Season 1. And returning to the podcast to help us analyze the first season of this iconic anime is Brian from TV Trivia Pod. Welcome back, Brian. Guys, thank you for having me. I'm excited to be here. Love talking Attack on Titan, especially with you guys. Yeah, yes, absolutely. It's going to be a great discussion. We already know it because you and, and us, we always chat behind the scenes about Attack on Titan as it's airing. So we're super excited to have you join us. And I think the last time that you were on the podcast was back in January, if I remember correctly, during our Attack on Titan review series for the final season. So since it's been a while, um, and for anyone listening who may not be familiar, could you quickly reintroduce yourself and your podcast? Sure, sure, I'd be happy to. Uh, again, I'm Brian, host of TV Trivia Pod. Uh, well, I'm renaming it now. I'm going with TV and Movie Trivia Pod, uh, where, nice. again, I I ask uh, questions from TV and movie shows. Movie shows, that's not... TV shows and <laughs> movies is what I meant to say. So, again, it, I've covered The Office, was one of the first things I started with. What's the name of Michael Scott's screenplay? Things like that, but I've also covered Harry Potter, Marvel, um, and other ones after that. Those were some of the big ones there. I'm doing horror comedies now with Zombieland and Evil Dead. I'll be doing Lord of the Rings soon. And, uh, you know, I've had Courtney and Carl on the podcast for The Office and Thor trivia, I believe. Yes, that was a lot of fun, especially the Thor one. Just having a, any excuse to rewatch Thor after not having watched it for so long. It was just like campy in the best way. And you had some really difficult questions. <laughs> you guys even got that Pet Palace one, <laughs> which was wild. That was on screen for like three seconds. Uh, but when he goes in there asking uh, for a horse, I always get a, I always get a kick out of that. That's a great scene, yeah. <laughs> so we got to ask, because we're all about anime, um, what have you been watching recently? I know like you you watch certain shows that kind of pique your interest. Has anything caught your eye lately? Uh, the most recent thing I've finished up has been Made in Abyss Season 2. Nice. That's, um, a, that's a big one. <laughs> holy smokes. Uh, yeah, my, my brother... Got me into that and Jobless Reincarnation. Oh, I love Jobless Reincarnation. Carl hasn't seen that one. That is no. Mushoku Tensei. <laughs> yeah. um, he hasn't seen that one yet because he's. you're not like a big isekai person, right, Carl? No, I've only seen a handful so far. But I'd say, and, and Brian, let me know if you agree. I'd say Mushoku Tensei, Jobless Reincarnation, it feels different than a lot of other isekai and the story is really well written that I feel like someone even like you, Carl, might still appreciate it. What do you think, Brian? Do you think he should watch it? I enjoyed it a lot. Um, you know, it's not necessarily the most exciting of animes, but there was just something about that story that kept me like really pumped to see the next one. What was going to happen next? Um, there was a lot. There was some parallel ah, parallelism. Um at the end there that I'm really curious about here for season two, um, I, I thought it was a great show. Yeah, it's I, I agree. I think it's not the most action-packed isekai, but 
the buildup pays off so well at the end of, of the most recent season. So I'm I'm excited for, for more of that anime. But I want to hear a little bit more about Made in Abyss. What did you think about that? Because I know we were messaging each other um, about it as it was airing because there's so much craziness that happens in season two. Like, What were, what were your thoughts on it? There's so much craziness. And Carl, it crushes me that you don't appreciate it that much. That, uh, what, what did you give it, a seven? Um, I think I gave it like an, yeah, or like closer to an eight. I, I, it's a great show. It's just, I'm not a, I don't vibe well with some fantasy show. You know what? I know this is like an adventure, but. You said that in your episode and I have to say, like, I feel like all anime is some degree of fantasy, right? That's true. <laughs> I mean, Steinsgate oh, yeah. might be purely sci-fi. Um, and I love Steinsgate, but um, I don't know. Uh, Death Note with demon gods. We have Attack on Titan with these, you know, uh, human changing into Titan immortal monsters almost. Girl, you know, I feel like there's so much unrealistic stuff that happens in anime that it's, it's almost hard to separate. You're right. I maybe I don't know if it's just because, uh, like I know the, the the show is pretty violent, even though you have like these characters who have very childlike, whimsical designs. Um, maybe it's just I. I think that might be part of it. Just that that visual style and just <laughs> almost splatter in every episode. <laughs> um, but I mean, like the story and the lore of it is is intriguing. But yeah, I, I'm trying to, I was trying to be as objective as I could without letting my whatever weird taste I have in anime affect my viewing of the show. Well, I mean, of course, I, I don't know. You're, whatever our weird tastes are, I feel like that is, uh, deserves to be appreciated as well. Of course, we're all not going to love the same things. I had this conversation with a coworker. Uh, are you guys film are you guys familiar with the movie Kung Pao? Kung Pao. Where I don't think so. A guy green screens himself into an entirely different movie and then he does all the dubbing himself. What? <laughs> that sounds wild. It's so dumb and so funny and that movie's a 10 out of 10 for me. Objectively, that is a bad movie. <laughs> Wait, okay, I'm looking it up right now on Google. I have seen this. Once when I was a kid, I remember the chipmunk <laughs> nunchucks. <laughs> like this, as, as soon as I saw like the cover for the DVD, I was like, yes, I have seen this. I don't remember anything about it, but I, I do recall it being very strange. <laughs> well, again, you know, that's a 10 out of 10 for me, but objectively it can't be. I don't know. I think you deserve to have Carl's personal ratings as well. Yeah, we should probably do that. I Sometimes, because I always say on the podcast, like, you can love, like, a 3 out of 10 and hate, like, an 8 out of 10. Yes. So we try to be objective in mm -hmm. our ratings, but hopefully we come through enough in our discussions about, like, how we actually feel about the shows. Yeah, it it's a, of, a fine line to, to balance. It would kind of be like, you know, Rotten Tomatoes has, like, a critic score, and then there's, like, an audience score, and the, those could be on, like, opposite ends of the spectrum yeah <laughs> i think yes. that's the case here you know um another good example i think will ferrell's land of the lost that's a 10 out of 10 for me it's one of his lowest rated movies but i think it's hysterical 
I don't know if I've heard of that one. Also Googling that one. You yeah, this one not. doesn't look familiar to me. Yeah, I, I don't recommend. That's not a movie that I really recommend to others. That's oh. a hard movie to recommend. <laughs> um, but I will say one of the other things that I love about Made in Abyss, which I feel so strongly connects with Attack on Titan, is I love being placed into the middle of a story where there's clearly stuff going on that I that we as viewers have no idea about yet, but it's going to make the ending so much better. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I completely agree. And that's what captured me about the first season, because the first season of Made in Abyss, without any spoilers, is, is kind of slow in the beginning, um, and it builds up, and it builds up over time. Um, but just the mystery they they started with and the mystery they were building, even through the second season, is what brings me back episode after episode. Like I feel like the payoff, when we finally get to a point in the story where they share some stuff um, or like start to you know provide context around the world is going to be so worth it kind of like attack on titan it was so worth it when they finally got to the basement yeah yeah again uh right now all we really know is that there's a curse uh you know i that feels like a hard one to explain away i'm okay if they don't but they 100 percent are going to revisit the artifacts at some point and i want to know why they're there how they got there and i feel like that's going to be really cool by the time we get to the end of this series yeah. Oh, it's going to be so good. I and can't we have wait. no confirmation about like season three or anything. Yeah, we so might I think have it's going to be some time. Like five more years. <laughs> yeah, probably. Trust me. Who said that? <laughs> One of you guys said that on your episode that, again, it's only a couple episodes into the most recent, I don't know, like season of the manga, arc of the manga. Yeah. It's, yeah. Yeah. It's, it's pretty much caught up to the manga. And so, like, you know, the manga has to advance a little bit more before they can throw it into an anime production. So. Yeah, it's going to be some time before we get the next season. But hey, I'm sure it'll be worth the wait. <laughs> wow. Oh, man. Love that movie, Dawn of Deep Soul, too. Yeah, that was really good, mm-hmm. too. Oh, my gosh. Bondrude is very controversial. <laughs> ruthless. He's ruthless is what that is. Yeah. I think I had to rewatch that. I, re- I rewatched that at least twice again, and I still think there's concepts there that just went over my head that I was unable to grapple with at the moment. It was wild. Yeah, and I hope they revisit a lot of that maybe with like the next season whenever we get that Um, because they they dropped so many hints that I agree like they we didn't really fully comprehend, but I feel like they're just foreshadowing for something later on and it's 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 gonna be wild i just thought there are so many parallels to the attack on titan i'm like the way i'm describing <laughs> or we're describing made in abyss i'm like you could say the exact same thing about attack on yeah, titan especially like a missing parent right yeah <laughs> <laughs> one big parallel yeah <laughs> man uh again it's i i don't know i i feel like that's not a ton of animes uh that i see but i i love what's going to happen that knowing that this is going to pay off in the future and I'm really looking forward to it. Yeah, definitely. And this is probably a good time to switch over to the main discussion, Attack on Titan, because now I'm like really excited to dig deep into all the things that we we discovered or noticed this watch Speaking through. of things I'm really looking forward to. Yeah. <laughs> so um, for a little bit of context, here on Strictly Anime, over the past almost two years or so, we've been reviewing every single episode of Attack on Titan, the final season, through our AOT special event. And that special event, of course, will return with the final part of the final season when that airs sometime next year. But Ooh-hoo. in prep... 
in preparation for this huge conclusion of like this historic anime, we decided to look back on like the first three seasons, starting, of course, with season one. And we've said many times in our Attack on Titan special event that no character, no bit of dialogue, um, no bit of Isayama's genius writing ever goes to waste in this anime. So we've got this group together to find as many instances as possible from these past seasons where um, he's drop some major clues. So the discussion is going to be um, partly our reviews and thoughts on Attack on Titan season one. But then we're also going to talk about again, like the clues and hints that we noticed about the greater Attack on Titan lore that maybe we didn't realize the first time we watched. Because as we all know, Isayama is notorious for dropping major hints without anyone even realizing it. So we should probably have a disclaimer that this review, or I guess retrospective, is intended for people who have watched the series through the final season, part two. Yeah. So if you're Good coming call. into this, like just having watched the first season of Attack on Titan, <laughs> I don't want to tell you to, to stop listening, but <laughs> maybe once you've caught up to the final season, come back to this episode, and then you can appreciate all the intricacies of this story as no, much as we are. Absolutely. Like, this is going to be, fair warning, this is going to be a very spoiler-heavy discussion. Anything and everything that has happened in the Attack on Titan anime, not the manga, but in the anime, um, is completely fair game. So, yeah, just like Carl said, if you're listening and you have not caught up to the final season part two, maybe pause here, go f finish watching it, and then return to this podcast episode. But with all that said, let's start off by, again, sharing our general thoughts and reviews of season one. And Carl, you're going to kick us off with a synopsis. Yes. So, yes. dear listeners, <laughs> time to buckle into your ODM gear as we soar into our synopsis and discussion for... Attack on Titan Season 1, the 2013 anime adaptation of a dark fantasy manga series written and illustrated by Hajime Isayama. The anime was produced by Wit Studio and directed by Tetsuro Araki and covers the first 34 chapters from the original manga. A long time ago, in a paradise far, far away, Eren Jaegerman Jensen witnesses the walls of his hometown and his normal life come crumbling down when a colossal and armored titan make a very gruesome pit stop to Shigan Shonen Jump District. Swearing to rid the world of titan scum, he enlists in the military with the hopes of joining the ranks of the Survey Corps, despite their propensity to becoming titan meals every night. When the colossal titan rears its ugly head again in Trust District, five years after his initial visit, Eren slips up in the scuffle and ends up as a tasty titan treat until his friends and comrades soon discover that Jaegerman Jensen has a little bit of Titan in himself too. Despite saving the district in his new Titan cosplay, Eren is deemed public enemy number one, but is taken under the wings of freedom of Erwin Dancho and my boy Levi Hecho in the Survey Corps. Learning that Eren's absent father left him the key to a sweet stash back at their home in the abandoned Shigan Shonen Jump district, the scout commanders lead a field trip back towards Wall Maria when it is rudely interrupted by the ever-elusive female titan, who seems to want the Jaegerman Jensen all for her own. Thankfully, Eren's unofficial girlfriend, Mikasa, teams up with my boy Levi Hecho to bring him back to safety, though not without an atrocious scout kill-death ratio. 
Aaron's page boyfriend, Armin, uses his cowardly but brilliant mind to deduce that the female titan is their fellow cadet, Annie Leonhardt, and the scouts formulate a plan to apprehend her within the bougie boundary of Stohes District. The female titan puts up a feisty fight until the scouts pull the attack titan up their sleeve as their rebuttal. Though the Jaegerman Jensen gets a little too bloodthirsty in their bougie brawl, he is reeled in by my boy Levi Hacho, while Annie retreats to a crystal shell, leading all involved to ask, Annie, are you okay? As the scouts are determined more than ever to get humanity back in the winning column with Aaron Jaegerman Jensen and his Titan cosplay on their side, not all is as it seems in this world when we learn that the walls keeping humanity safe from harm are, in fact, built Titan tough probably should have signed a different builder's contract on Titan. <laughs> oh, my God. Well, okay, I'm going to start off with a question for you, Brian. Um, okay. I'm, I'm very curious to know what you think. After rewatching season one, does it still hold up after all of these years? Like, would you still give it the same rating or would you give it something different? Same rating. Same rating. Same rating. This was just as uh heartfelt to watch the second time uh i was still feeling crushed every time they get defeated i still feel that excitement when i see the attack titan um this still holds up for me i guess almost in the grand scheme of things uh now knowing everything we do it almost feels like not a lot happened or that we at least didn't figure out a ton compared to seasons two and three and a lot of four, but uh, the struggle is real and uh, I enjoyed seeing them fight through it every time. Yeah, I have to I have to echo that. I think it's for me watching it now because I have not rewatched it since it first premiered many years ago. Um, I don't think I fully appreciated Attack on Titan season one when I first watched it. And it, you know, knowing, you know, the lore, like putting all that aside, just like the, the season itself, I had forgotten how much stuff is packed into season one. I mean, just as Carl described, like the, the Titans breach the wall. Um, Aaron becomes the attack Titan. Um, he joins the survey corps. Annie shows up. The colossal Titan, the Ar armor Titan have like two attacks in this season. It's just wild how many huge plot points show up in just 25 episodes with the pacing still feeling really well done um that i i just i don't think i had the the mental capacity to step back and appreciate how well season one was done because i was just trying to absorb everything that was going on at the time yeah i, I echo the same feelings as you two um attack on titan i think i've mentioned this before on the podcast was was kind of my gateway anime or my show to get back no into anime and like it was a, the perfect one to go off of and so this was also my first rewatch since that initial viewing and i know we've mentioned before like sometimes it might feel different when you rewatch a show because you might not have the same exciting feelings or nostalgic feelings um seeing it with all the context that we do now but you know, even just from that first episode, like oh I, I still got chills down my spine when when you see Aaron screaming at like watching Carla die, his mother die. Uh, the intensity of 
I forgot how intense the female Titan and Attack Titans brawls were. Uh, I feel like that's always yeah. overshadowed by Reiner versus Eren, but seeing it again in season one, I still like I still felt very hype watching that. Or even knowing that you know Marco was going to meet his demise. Oh, Marco! Uh, like I, <laughs> I, it still tugged at my heartstrings. So all the same feelings were there, and I think my viewing was just enhanced again, knowing everything that we know now up until this most recent part of the final season. And I think it just made the viewing experience all the more fulfilling, seeing all of those hints and clues. Yeah, and that was one of my my questions I, I had as well. Like, Brian, what about you? Like, knowing everything about the lore that you know now, how did it change the viewing experience for, for you? Again, it just made everything... I, I just felt like I needed to scrutinize everything so much more. I, I, I just want to say again, I feel like this is going to be one of the first spoilers uh, that I mentioned here. But again, knowing that Reiner is the armored titan, Bertholdt is the colossal, Annie is the female, and analyzing every single interaction they have now yeah. uh, just becomes like, what what are they really talking about? He he meant something else here, or maybe there was like a comment that didn't quite make sense in the context of what was happening, but now does knowing their other motivations. Uh, it again, it just made everything so much better. Yeah, I, I completely agree. Like it almost refueled my excitement to watch. Like it, it completely changes that viewing experience, but in a good way, because instead of discovering the world and learning about these characters and whatnot, like the first time we all watched, instead we're all sitting here discovering the clues that Isayama left us that we just didn't pick up on, you know, the the first time we we watched the the season. Um and I, I think too, I I also kind of appreciate the timeline of things um, and like where these characters were at in their their lives or in their journeys. Again, knowing what happens to them four plus years later in the story timeline. Because if you think about it, in that first episode, Aaron and Mikasa and Armin are super young kids. Well, Bertolt, Reiner, and Annie are the same age as them. And yet at that age, they're transforming into titans and attacking an entire city or like an entire country of people to lead them to their deaths like that is an intense amount of pressure for these little kids Mm -hmm. yeah yeah and again i want to say uh something that carl touched on too uh even from the moment of that first episode i think this has to be one of the best pilot episodes of a show of all time at the moment that episode ends i'm ready for number two that hooked me so hard uh seeing there, there's never been just so much emotion and trauma like uh, crammed into 20 minutes. I've never felt so attached to characters so quickly. And everything that happens there uh, just made me go all in on this show. Yet, yeah, and it's funny because Attack on Titan is is part of the like shonen genre of anime or manga, right? Where it's supposed to follow like a young protagonist, it's like a coming of age story. And so usually like in the first episode, you would, I would expect like that protagonist to suddenly get their powers or showcase their abilities. But here in Attack on Titan, it's all just pure world building and you don't really see Aaron, the protagonist's full potential until I think it's episode four or five when he gets his attack titan power um 
And that's what also makes the show just a, a cut above the rest is that it feels less like an anime and just more like this epic fantasy tale. <laughs> <laughs> it's like a huge Which platitude I threw out there. <laughs> We all know uh, Carl's not a huge fan of, so saying that yeah. is like a, a huge bonus for Attack on Titan. No, I, I agree though. Like it's it's kind of crazy that when you in the anime community, a lot of people say, "Oh, what are some great entry anime for people who don't who haven't really watched it before?" And Attack on Titan always comes up. They're like, if you if your friend loves Game of Thrones and like Lord of the Rings and stuff like that, or Harry Potter, just like anything like big that has a very rich world, they'll love Attack on Titan. And in my head, I'm thinking like, that's that's intense throwing somebody into the world of anime through Attack on Titan. But I I, I think it makes sense. There's just so much that the show has to offer. Again, even in season one alone, um, that anybody could just jump right in and enjoy the ride from start to finish. Uh, but with that said, I'm curious to know, and Brian, we can start with you. What would you say are your favorite and least favorite parts of season one? Favorite and least favorite? Um, you know, uh, I am always a fan of this pilot, as I just said. Uh, love that there. Um, you know, rewatching this and meeting Sasha for the first time, that was a favorite. <laughs> oh, yeah, it's a great <laughs> With scene. With the, the potato scene. <laughs> oh, wow. Again, I've never just been so attached to a character in like two or three minutes there. <laughs> you know, uh, she she was absolutely charming. Um, every time Aaron gets into an attack titan battle, um, you just the raw emotion behind it is intense I, I love the intensity of that um yeah there's so much to enjoy about uh season one here uh least favorite parts of season one i might need you guys to go first because i might need a second to think about it it's it's honestly a tough question mm -hmm. because even thinking yeah. about it myself i'm like there's nothing i really dislike about season right. one there are other parts of later seasons that i maybe like a little bit less but season one was just so good. So I can jump in here and share like one of my favorite parts of season one that just hits me every single time I watch it is the moment the, uh, the Colossal Titan makes its second appearance. When Aaron and everybody, they're mm. on the walls, they're they're feeling very positive about like the direction they're heading. They feel like, okay, we can take back humanity. We've got a good group and, and a good plan in place. And he's on the wall smiling, just looking out in the distance and then boom right behind him colossal titan shows up for the second time and just ruins everything because i was not expecting that the first time i watched it um i would say maybe my least favorite part of the season um would just be some of the the slower moments when Aaron first joins the Survey Corps. And it's not to say like that that's still a fantastic arc of the season um but it's the show is very intense. It's go, go, go up until he meets Levi. He meets um, Erwin. He, they're, they're kind of, you know, taking him out into isolation, getting to know him a little bit more, kind of taking that time to introduce us to a whole new set of characters. It's, again, by no means a bad part, but it is a, probably the slowest part that we experience in that season. So when I get to it, I'm kind of like, okay, like I'm, I'm happy to get reacquainted with everybody, but I can't wait for the action to start again. Yes. Yeah. Um, let me see. What were my favorite things of this season? I think first and foremost, like my favorite scene is probably in the 
the the season finale when again when Aaron is facing off against Annie and they're both in their attack titan and female titan forms like obviously Aaron is carrying the weight of the sacrifices of of the lives that died protecting him uh, when they were out in their scouting mission and I think just the fact that it was one of his his own friends, um, someone that he considered a comrade that betrayed the group, um, and him just having this responsibility on his shoulders with his attack titan power to change the course of what we thought then was all of humanity, and obviously that's changed with uh, <laughs> subsequent seasons, but seeing him get so enraged right before he enters his attack titan form and then he's just laying the beat down on Annie like it was so gut-wrenching it was so visceral and it was him in like a berserker mode too and just seeing how out of control he was uh, it 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 kind of foreshadowed the way that we see Aaron now in the final season now that the rumbling has initiated and he is in his founding titan form just getting a taste of how terrifying Aaron potentially could be. Um, that's probably one of my favorite moments in this first season. I got season. goosebumps hearing you talk about that again. <laughs> I did too. It was, oh, man. Um, I think the, the second thing is just seeing my my boy Levi again, or like seeing him for the first time. Uh, you know, he's doing his kind of like Beyblade attacks on all of the Titans. Beyblade attacks. <laughs> it was just such a visual treat to watch. And then, of course, his the thing that's memed about him a lot is him and his cleaning outfit. I just love the scene uh. where he bursts the window open and he's, <laughs> he's in his full like cleaning getup. Uh, yeah, just a lot of great things like that in this season. Uh, I would say my least favorite thing is probably just the length of the scouting mission so when the scouts go out beyond the walls to try and uh, retake Walmaria and that's where the female titan shows up uh I realized at the end of that arc everything like all of those episodes happened over the course of one day even though that felt like I was watching a week's worth of stuff going on uh, and it's not that none of those episodes weren't or were not important because I think again that just contributes to the world building and us trying to figure out who the female titan is and again just just the nature of titans how mysterious they were back then we were kind of like oh, oh man what, like what's going on but i feel like that could have kind of been condensed in a few, uh, couple fewer episodes sure sure i do want to say uh building off something courtney said too another thing that i love about season one and also i think think this was a season three moment as well but how quickly they go from feeling motivated we can do it to just being crushed in seconds mm -hmm. yeah. you know uh attack on titan does this all the time we saw this i think the most uh when the colossal titan struck again and uh the gang is trying to get to uh the base to fill up their tanks their air tanks their gas um and again Jean just Jean Jean yeah wait I'm saying his name wrong I think it's I think it's John I say John so hopefully that's how you say it that's, <laughs> okay. that's that, as an aside there's a that's a weird thing about Attack on Titans that there's so many different pronunciations of these characters names like yeah I've seen them 
in like different subs on different platforms. Um, so it could be yeah, John or Gene, Armin or Arumin. Arumin. Like, I don't know. <laughs> well, I'm going to say Jean then. And uh, I feel like he just picked up the courage and uh, motivated, motivated everybody to, you know, get to base, even though it's surrounded by Titans, they can still make it with what little gas they have left if they're careful. And again, in a matter of seconds, these Titans attack him out of nowhere, and we're back from square one. You know, uh, Courtney, you just said it with the gang is on the wall. They're smiling. I think Sasha just stole that meat. Yeah. And, <laughs> and again, the Colossal Titan comes out of nowhere. So many times during attack, attack on Titan, I've wondered, like, how in the world is this situation ever going to be salvaged? You know, I, I wondered it there, you know, well, I would have wondered it the first time I watched it, you know, and again, in season three, I believe I'm picturing the moment when the Beast Titan is throwing rocks at that village and they're just being crushed from every corner. Mm -hmm. And each episode ends with like, there's, there's no way this is it. <laughs> I, there's no way out of this. And uh, Attack on Titan just builds that intensity and that foreboding and that hopelessness so well that makes me just want more yeah no you described it perfectly and it also makes me think about i think one of the most epic moments of the earlier seasons i think it was season two when reiner just straight up tells aaron hey i'm the yeah. armored titan and oh there goes the colossal titan like out of literally nowhere i thought that was one of the most genius things isayama has done with the writing because it just made that moment like aaron's confusion on screen was exactly how i was feeling i'm like wait what did he just say <laughs> i rewinded it <laughs> there's like what <laughs> there's actually a moment like that in this season if you catch it um it's when aaron armin and mikasa are trying to lure annie into that underground tunnel and like i think it's clear that something's not right we don't know at the time but they know that annie's the female titan and aaron says something in passing he's like a girl who can spin a man around in midair isn't weak. Did you catch that? Yeah, I think he was referring to their um, training arc when they first became scouts, because didn't she flip him? That's what I assumed as well, and uh, Reiner as well. Okay. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. For some reason, I thought that was connected to when the female Titan was like spinning that guy around like a yo-yo. Oh, my God. I, <laughs> I hate that part. That part is so Yikes. weird to me. Oh, when he's, when he's twirling the guy. Oh, mm. that is brutal. Um, but no, I think she was he was trying to say, because she's like, oh, I'm just a weak little girl. And he's like, well, no, you're not, because you kicked my butt during, okay. <laughs> during practice. <laughs> I, I think Aaron wasn't even there when that spinning thing happened. But I like I, I originally thought it was like it was a passing comment. But it's similar to what happened with Reiner. Um, I it might be, I don't know, I was going to say foreshadowing to that moment, but it, it's unrelated. So <laughs> we can just throw that out. <laughs> well, I do have a question about Annie, but before I do that, Brian, any, any least favorite part come to mind? If not, no worries, because again, it's a fantastic season. I, I couldn't think of any. You know, um, I will admit, uh, I'm not proud of this, but uh, I thought I would have more time to watch uh, season one because, of course, I wanted to be prepared for your show and ended up, uh, you know, watching it in English uh, dubbing at some points uh, while I was 
also trying to like get other stuff. I was trying to do a little bit of multitasking there. Um, and you know, there were some parts in the middle that I was like, okay, there's not, there's no bombshells going to be dropped at this moment. I know the general story of what happens here. This is, you know, as you said, this is where we get introduced to the new cast of scouts or, you know, maybe a little bit of, uh, training happens and we're working on our omnidirectional gear. Uh, you know, so there were some parts that I knew I didn't quite have to pay as close attention to, um, but by no means would I say these are moments that I disliked, um, just weren't as exciting. Yeah, no, that, that makes sense. And I'm curious to know, how how was the English dub? Like how, Not good. Really? <laughs> Not <laughs> oh, good. Oh, boy. <laughs> oh, man. The least, the, the worst part by far was uh, the Attack Titans roar. Oh, oh yes. they redubbed that? Oh my gosh. <laughs> they redubbed it. I don't know why you have to redub that, but it was much more high-pitched, sounded more like, yeah. uh, I don't know, some type of animal instead. It lost so much of its ferociousness mm-hmm. and intensity. Um, that was so disappointing. That's yeah. so weird. You think of like all the things that they wouldn't redub, the, the Attack Titan's roar is Perfect. He's not speaking mm-hmm. any language, so you don't have to change anything. <laughs> no, I've I've heard, uh, I've seen clips of com- the comparison between the two Attack on Titan screams, and yeah, like the the Japanese one, it it's more guttural, it's more brooding, and that one too, it just sends chills down my spine. But I think the if I remember from the English dub, like you said, Brian, it's almost like a like a, a banshee or something, just like a really high pitched shriek. <laughs> I almost want to compare it to when uh, a Pokemon jumps out of the grass in, uh, you know, any of the Game Boy games, and it makes this, <laughs> sound. yeah, and okay, it's that's... just it's it's just got that quality to it. Yeah, oh my no, that's a great comparison. Now I need to go. I'm gonna go to YouTube after after this and and listen to it. I'll probably regret that decision, but now I'm so curious to know You're like firsthand. <laughs> You're gonna be crushed. <laughs> Um, so as I mentioned, I, I did have a question about Annie, specifically around the female Titan. Um, the first time you guys watched Attack on Titan, having known nothing prior, um, did you figure out that Annie was the female Titan, or did you not know until they revealed it in like the second or third to last episode? Personally, I know nothing until it's revealed to me. <laughs> um, I, I can try and figure it out, but uh, you know, I'm, I'm thinking about it. But I don't know, there's just the, one of the things I just love about anime is just how well it is written and how hard it is to predict what's going to happen next. Um, I don't remember uh, how much I did think about it when I was watching the season one for the first time, but uh, I remember not being able to put any of it together. And that's one of the notes I have here. I'm like, oh, wow, seeing the armored Titan, how did I not realize that was Reiner? Yeah. Yeah. There's not a ton of, uh, it doesn't feel like a ton of difference there. Here's this muscular guy with a very similar haircut uh, to his giant form. <laughs> and I was like, come on, I I could have done that. Yeah, I kind of, I was similar. So I think the one uh, plot twist that I did figure out very quickly was the that Annie was the female Titan purely based on the way the face looked. I'm like that looks exactly like Annie. Like even the nose sure. is shaped the same. The the one thing with the armored Titan that like where 
at least for me, I didn't put two and two together is because he looks, he has a very like robotic look to his face, very structured with the, the mechanical jaw and everything. And then the Colossal Titan doesn't have hair, but if you look hard enough, it does look like Beartold because of like the longer nose and everything. Mm-hmm. But the the female Titan like straight up looked like a one for one of Annie. Sure. So I was like, I have a feeling that's Annie. I think I just kind of spoiled myself on that one, but it's kind of it's kind of obvious to me anyway. Uh, but what about you, Carl? Did, did you pick up on that earlier on, or was it not until the end that when they revealed it? No, I was I was dumbfounded, <laughs> just like you, Brian, when when that yeah. was revealed. Uh, and I think I I caught a moment. I think it was like the the last episode where Mikasa yeah she, she has a fleeting comment about how like I think the Erwin's asking everyone what they think about Annie being the female Titan, and Mikasa says something like. Oh, they they have similar faces, and again, that's that's the thing where it's like a fleeting comment that you don't think about, but it just provides all the context moving forward. And I was surprised that you know even finding out Annie was the female Titan at that point, how I didn't take that line and put two and two together that, oh yeah, the Armor Titan or the Colossal Titan, those might have people in it, and those might be traitors as well. <laughs> oh. Same. I also don't know if at that point I'd put together that the other Titans had people in them either. Yeah. Again, I think I had to wait until it was explicitly stated in the show, (laughs) Uh, but I don't think I had even put that together at that point. Yeah. Or even just like the regular Titans that are roaming, like how they have, they have human features, right? They, they have distinct human features and distinct faces and I know, like, the, their actual human counterparts get cameos in flashbacks in later seasons. But how we didn't even put those together, we just thought Come these on. were just some aimlessly <laughs> wandering creatures. Like, it, it just blows my mind. Yeah. Agreed. I, I completely agree as well. And this might be a good opportunity to switch over to um, the other part of our discussion. Since we've already kind of been talking about some of these hints, let's dive into everything that we noticed this time around, all of the clues and hints that Isayama left us about the Attack on Titan lore from season one. Um, And I do want to start off with a pretty big one that like just went straight over my head when I first saw it. It's the very first title card of the very first episode, which reads, To You, 2,000 Years in the Future. None of us had any idea what that meant back then. And we were like, (laughs) okay, I don't know what that is, but I'll just accept it. And now we realize how significant that title is and how much it signals that Isayama has been thinking about these things from the very beginning. I think it's episode 80 in the final season um, that that brings that full circle because the title of that is From You, 2,000 Years Ago. And that's the story of the original Emir. So 80 episodes prior, he knew. <laughs> He's like, I already know what this is going to be about. I already know where this is all going to go. Man, that's just like some masterful writing. That was really cool. Again, I knew I knew it was impactful. You know, at that point, I did, oh man, I did kind of forget what the significance of 2,000 years ago was, um, which again is when Titans first appeared. So I yeah. think it's almost like a letter that Emir, so when, when it's saying 2,000 years in the future, to you, 2,000 years in the future, I think that's Emir to Aaron Jaeger, 2,000 years in the future. Because then the opposite ti- title of to you, 2,000 years in the past, is, is I think the moment where they reveal a lot of the backstory about Emir, and then you realize that's that's who 
is speaking to each other through these titles or that's who's being referenced is Emir to Aaron and Aaron to Emir. Emir. Come on. That's a name we haven't even heard yet at this point. (laughs) (laughs) Wow. You know, and to go along with that, again, the very first title card, I believe even the very first thing said in this series, uh, and I think I have this written down here, and on that day, humanity remembered being controlled by them in, oh yeah, imprisoned. Uh, This was, uh, wait a second. This was said, oh no, this is a part of the quote now. I'm butchering this right now. I'm butchering this. (laughs) Um, But uh, again, this was said when the Titan appeared, but of course could 100% be referring to Marley at this point and being imprisoned. Yeah, that's a really good point. And you get a lot of lines, especially in the early, the first few episodes about being caged, about being trapped, about wanting to be free, about wanting to explore. And throughout the season, you get a ton of imagery of birds flying, which comes full circle in the final season. I mean, I'm sure that also pops up in seasons two and three, but it's very prominent in season four as Aaron continues to talk about being free um, and, you know, like moving forward and all of that. I think the birds have always been that imagery for his desire to be free. But back then, I just thought it was an image of the birds flying. I didn't think anything of it. (laughs) Or even going along those lines, the the scouts insignia, you know what it's called? The wings of freedom? The wings of freedom. Yeah. Yeah. (laughs) There's that, that symbolism, that imagery there that's always, it's been in our face, but we, we don't realize it until like we know everything now. Yeah. Man, I have to say, I think this leans pretty heavily into one of uh, the things Carl has said in the past here. I think this is indicating to us that in season four, part three, we will see Aaron grow wings and have our first flying Titan. (laughs) I'm going to hold on to that theory. (laughs) Just a Titan with wings. That would be wild. Um, oh, also, as I'm skipping my notes here, because I have just so many notes from every single episode of things I picked up on. But one of my favorite things that I I don't think is super significant, but I just think is kind of maybe like funny is a morbid word for this, but it's interesting to think about is the Titan that eats Carla is Dina Fritz or Dinah Fritz, oh Grisha's mm-hmm. first wife. I'm like, how poetic is that? <laughs> the first wife eating the second wife after her husband left her. Wild. Yeah, uh, I think I thought about that. And, it, you know, the the scene was heart-wrenching to begin with. And then yeah. knowing this background stuff, it just hurt even more. Yeah, and it's also, I think she's also the Titan in, like, season two or whatever when um, Aaron punches, like, the Titan's fist and activates yeah. his mm-hmm. power touching someone of royal blood. It's also Dina Fritz's Titan. <laughs> I'm like, yeah. this Titan just <laughs> plays a huge role and we don't even think about it. I, we were just all confused seeing that point. Like, I was just surprised. I know this is going ahead, but seeing that our Dinah Fritz is Titan alive again in season two, and then that whole punching thing, I was like, "How is this happening?" Yeah, yeah. That, and like, <laughs> how is this happening right now? It's crazy. Yeah, yeah. Uh, some other things I had written down, especially concerning the first episode, uh, was that I guess it's a little suspicious that the Colossal Titan is almost the exact same size as the walls to begin with. You know, like, could that have hinted that 
the walls are filled with colossal titans to begin with. Oh my gosh, you're, you're right. I didn't think about that because he like just barely sees over the top of the wall. Oh my gosh. Right. <laughs> and then we obviously we get that bombshell reveal in the, the season finale of season one. That, but there's like smaller yeah. colossal titans hiding inside well, of there. Why don't oh we my put gosh. two and two together? Yeah. <laughs> yep. Again, things that just hit different now that we know much more. Yeah. And and speaking of of that group, Reiner, Bertolt, and Annie. I mean that that was one of the things. And Brian, I think you mentioned this earlier. That was one of the things I was like intently watching for mm-hmm. with each conversation they had with Aaron or Armin or Mikasa. Um, was like, how are they responding? How are they acting? <laughs> and I think Carl noticed one early sign in episode three, I believe, when the group is in like the the mess hall or the the you know, the, the lunch area or whatever. Um, and they're talking about the armor Titan. I think mm-hmm. they're asking Aaron about like, what do they look like? What do the Titans look like? And when he brings up the armor Titan, they actually pan to a shot of Reiner t- taking a sip of his drink. Yes. And I'm like, okay, they just made it so <laughs> obvious and we just didn't know. <laughs> they pointed right at him. Yeah. <laughs> oh, man. And even like some of the, just watching that trio, I call it the Marlian trio, watching their interactions. There's episodes where, you always see them together. Uh, I think in episode seven, they're they're str- they're openly talking and strategizing with each other about what they need to do next. And mm-hmm. uh, us back then, we're like, okay, they're just cadets. They're as confused as everyone else is. But the, therein lies a hint that they're their own little group and they're the traitors. Um, I think another thing is the three of them also make it a point to go and witness like when Aaron uh, transforms into his attack Titan form when he's about to get hit by the cannonball along with um, Armin and Mikasa because they want to confirm that there isn't the attack Titan is in their midst. Like I just thought, oh, they just want to go see it just because it's interesting. But no, that's part of the mission that was given to them by Marley. I know it's like they wanted to find the founding Titan's power, but getting the attack Titan is their added bonus. Yeah. Right. Um, I, I have to say, when I watched, saw that scene again, I thought their motivation was maybe that they already knew uh, that, again, we have the attack Titan here. But again, knowing that if Aaron does die, it disappears to a random person. I thought right. that was more their motivation, almost protect him no matter what. Yeah, I agree because in episode, I'm just giving my notes here, um, episode eight, um, when Aaron is getting eaten as a Titan, um, I think like all the other smaller Titans are like uh, attacking him in his Titan form. I think mm. Reiner chimes in and says, yeah. we should save it because we won't learn any- anything if it dies. And like you could right. think the first time uh... watching that, like, oh, the scouts won't learn anything if it dies. But in his mind, he's thinking, we're not going to know who's in that Titan. We're not going to be able to capture it or learn like how Aaron got this Titan power if it dies. And even earlier in that episode, um, I think there's a conversation between Connie and Reiner. Um, and again, it's after um, it's after the Attack Titan first appears. And I think Connie says, um, or no, Reiner asks Connie, 
how much everybody knows so far about the attack titan and connie responds saying what we can worry about that later when we're safe and then reiner kind of takes a step back with like a bead of sweat on his face he's like oh yeah you're right we, we can worry about that later but Reiner's very curious to know <laughs> how much does everybody know because we know everything and we're curious to know if everyone else is picking up on some of these things yeah uh some other things i had written about uh this episode one again uh, one thing being what Carl said earlier, that, again, even the regular Titans are identical versions of people. I mean, again, it was right in our faces the entire time. Of course they were people. Uh, I did have a question for you guys, though. Uh, when we first see Aaron, uh, he says something about the dream I was having seems to go on forever. He's crying when he wakes up. And I kind of forget the significance of that, if that does mean anything. So yeah. that's a really good point. And I'm a bit confused by it because, yeah, I recall that part as well where he says, like, he felt like he had a really long dream and he even sees the moment his mom is about to get eaten in this dream. But at that point, Grisha was still alive. Aaron didn't have oh. Grisha's memories. He didn't mm. have the attack titan's ability to see the past or the future. He didn't have anything. He was just a normal kid. So I'm almost wondering, like, how did Aaron have that dream? How did he see those visions if he didn't inherit anything from Grisha yet? So yeah, I, I, I've noticed that too. And I'm like, I don't know what's going on here. Wow, that's a great point. I totally uh, forgot again that he didn't even have that ability at that point. Unless it was <laughs> like, and it's just me like grasping at straws here, unless it was something like Aaron from the future sending was, past Aaron those memories because yeah. technically he's a child of Emir, so he can be sent imagery, I think. I was going to say, I think it's the way that like time and space works with Aaron having the founding Titan and the attack Titan ability, like obviously in the later seasons, but we know that like time... This is really confusing, and this is reminding me of when we had to discuss this yeah. in our AOT special event. But like, time isn't linear in a sense in this universe, so it might just be that this young Aaron is like seeing all these future events, but it's all of it is still happening within the same space in his mind. If that makes any sense. I think Boy. so. I think I, I'm like I'm like that meme with the woman in the math equations going around her head right now. I'm like, yes, I think that makes sense. So like, even though he doesn't have the the the, the Titan abilities at that point, in in the time space continuum, he has them, so he can still experience them even as a child. I I think that yes, I could I be totally wrong, but that's just my theory. <laughs> I think that's the best we can work with. And again, yeah. <laughs> even that stuff still goes over my head. Uh, I I take it and I, and I absorb it and I'm not sure what to make of it, but I, I still enjoy every second of it. Yeah, same. Um, I, I do want to call out some clues around Mikasa that I, I noticed. And Carl, I think you and I, when we were watching these episodes, had talked about this in Mikasa's like, backstory episode where we learn about her parents being killed um and about like the reason the bandits are going after her it's because she's of asian descent and i think you carl said to me like this is the first clue that the world is bigger mm -hmm. because they're ah. calling out specifically that her and her mother's um you know ethnicity is extremely rare so like where's it coming from if if there's nobody else in 
parodies that looks like them. Um, so yeah, I think that was one of like the first things that kind of led us to to understand like there's some other types of people out there. Right. Man, I just assumed that, you know, I guess we had almost all races, all those people of, yeah, everybody in the walls and maybe just through Titans, uh, certain races became more extinct than others. And I guess that's what Mm -hmm. I was thinking. But again, that's a really good point, Carl. I also think too, um, and I, I, again, I only thought about this second time around, um, but when we get to the the end of that same episode where Grisha's like, hey, Mikasa, why don't you come live with us? The first time around, I'm thinking he's probably inviting her to live with them because she has no family and they can care for her. They have the means to care for her. But now knowing that the owl, I think we find out in like season three, maybe at the end of season three, that when Grisha was younger and he was with the owl, the owl randomly said to him, make sure you protect Mikasa and Armin. Or he said, if you want to save Mikasa, Armin, and everyone else, you must master this power, which is the line that we hear here in the first season, uh, specifically episode nine, because that's what Grisha says to Aaron right before he transfers the Titan powers to Aaron. Yes. Yeah, and so that made me wonder, did Grisha have an ulterior motive for inviting Mikasa to live with them? Was it because he knew there was something important about Mikasa through what the owl told him because he had heard her name so many years ago and he probably figured, I need to keep her close. I need to keep her safe. She's going to have a big part in the story. That was my, my theory anyway. No, I think that makes perfect sense. Otherwise, like, why would Grisha say that exact line that the owl said to him? Yeah. In the in the past, but I guess in our future when we see that in a later season. Yeah. Wow. Uh that went over my head. <laughs> <laughs> that this went over me my head. Over analyzing everything, which I enjoy. I love doing this stuff. So this is like it needs to be done for Attack on Titan. Yes, mm-hmm. absolutely. <laughs> uh well again, speaking of that episode, again, a uh, huge part of Aaron's personality, I think, shines through here. Aaron tells Mikasa, fight or you'll die. And yeah. that feels like his whole mantra. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. I think he even says, like, the classic, tatakai, tatakai. Like, he's screaming it at her to, like, mm-hmm. keep fighting, keep fighting. Um, and that that comes back to bite us in the butt later on in season four. <laughs> now it's a meme. <laughs> and uh, he does a lot of other stuff, I thought that episode that uh, seemed interesting. Again, uh, he says that uh, you need to fight to survive speech, fight or you'll die. Um, He tells his dad that, you know, he killed those animals, referring to those uh, people that were, you know, uh, taking and kidnapping and killed Mikasa's parents. Uh, He doesn't even recognize them as human at that point. Uh, And then when he looks so nonchalantly at Mikasa, when his dad tells her that she'll live with them, And he just grabs her hand and says, hey, let's go to our house. You know, like, this isn't the way I think I would have behaved if I found out uh, I was about to share everything with somebody else. I feel like it just, you get a much bigger sense of uh, his sense of justice or how he does care for people. Uh, that's, uh, That's the things that were running through my mind when I saw that scene. 
Yeah, that's a really it's your your earlier point is like sparking my my thoughts right now because you're right. Like he he calls the bandits animals. Like he has no remorse at all for these people losing their lives. I mean, understandably so, right? Because they took the lives of Mikasa's Mika parents. But is that a parallel to the way Aaron views Marley, the threat to mm. his his friends and family? He has no hesitation wiping the floor with them even if it means civilians get um get killed in the process and it almost seems like he's so detached from them even though they are technically human but is he what did he show those signs early on like if you are an enemy i will stop at nothing to you know remove you from the equation man uh it's aaron's just he he's just got a sense of justice about him that uh seems He's very headstrong with, and I think uh, we're going to add on to that when we get to some topics at the end of the episode and some things that Armin said in particular uh, with where he goes with this stuff. Yeah, I was going to say, like, there's a lot of instances in season one that kind of show how Aaron's, like, forming his mentality about about the world, about Titans. Uh, I think, well, you know, when, when Trost is attacked... And he finds out that he has the Titan powers. Uh, and he, he realizes that that poses a threat a lot to Mikasa and Armin just by association. And he doesn't want them to be involved in this sort of mess that he's created because he wants to take that burden on himself. And I think we, Courtney and I kind of theorized about this in our review of the final season is that, you know, with Aaron going on his crusade, like, is he intentionally keeping Mikasa, Armin, and his other friends in the scouts, like, at bay because he just wants to place the responsibility of saving the world for himself and for them to go on and, you know, have happy lives with or without him? However, we don't know, we don't know the current ending of, or how Attack on Titan is going to end. Uh, but I just thought that there were instances of that, like those seeds being planted and even during the scouting mission, when we see the uh, the original Levi squad, uh, he puts his trust in them because he's about to he was he's conflicted about turning into the Attack Titan to fight off Annie and the female Titan forms because she's chasing after the group. But he places his trust in the squad to defend him, and they do. But then it leads to their deaths, and he's just so distraught by that. And I think. That sticks in his mind just how much people are giving up for his sake, believing him to be this important figure because of his abilities as an attack titan. That I think by the time season four rolls around, he's like, no more of this. I'm going to take matters into my own hands and, again, save these lives while putting the burden on myself. Yeah, I um, similar to that, I think in episode 19, um, which is like right around, I think right before the original Levi squad gets demolished by the female Titan and Aaron's upset about that, Levi reacts to Aaron about to bite his hand when everyone's telling him, no, just hold off, hold off. Um, and Levi says, Aaron is a real monster. He basically says like, no matter how hard you try to contain him, he will never submit to anybody. So even Levi picked up on that, oh, having only known Aaron for such a short amount of time at that point. Uh, I did not catch that line. That that was a very interesting pull. Um, I will say, uh, as to what Carl was saying um, about, you know, Aaron not wanting to 
involve Mikasa and Armin so that, you know, he can protect them. Uh, I believe probably when I watched this, definitely the first time, I just thought that was kind of like a trope. You know, I think it's yeah. been said probably in every anime. You know, I need to do this by myself. It's been said in Harry Potter. No, Ron and Hermione, right. you guys <laughs> stay away so that I, you guys aren't involved. Uh, so at that point, I don't think I put much credence uh, to what he said there. But uh, now that things are coming to a head in season four, part two and three, um, that holds a little more weight. Yeah, even though a lot of people right now consider Aaron the villain. <laughs> but I, I, I'm still on Team Aaron. I think he has a, a good motive uh, for everyone in the end. I mean, they keep saying over and over again, not even Aaron himself, but other people in season four keep saying like, Aaron is the same as he's always been. So however you viewed him in season one and, and season two and season three, I mean, whatever your view is probably could still hold true in season four. I think we'll we'll norm, we'll know more um, in, in a finite way once the show actually concludes, like what is actually going on with Aaron. But I think all theories could technically have some validity to them. Man, I, I can't wait. I also think there's a lot of talk about memories super early on um, at least in like the first half of season one um, specifically about like getting the the titan injection to turn you into a titan so you can eat somebody else i think in aaron's memories he hears grisha say your memories will be fuzzy your memories you know your memories will be impaired and that's why he doesn't remember where grisha went or remember anything from his first transformation because it's the same thing with anyone who transforms the first time um, one example right. that comes up is like Falco, when he gets uh, transformed in the final season, he wakes up and he has no idea what happened, like what was going on. He doesn't even know what happened to his brother. Um, and then we also saw a quick moment of the idea of inheriting a previous Titan wielder's memories when you eat them, because Aaron was explaining to somebody, I can't remember who it was, um, that he... He, he basically instinctively knew to bite his finger and cause self-harm in order to activate his memories. And I think he explained that to somebody um, in the survey corps and then kind of paused and he's like, wait, how did I even know that? And I was like, oh my gosh, they're telling us something. Like they're telling us that memories get passed down from Titan wielder to Titan wielder. I think he was talking to Hanj, either Levi or Hanj about that moment. Okay. Man, uh, I don't know. I don't think I have anything to add there. Uh, there, there is... <laughs> So much with going on there. Uh, you know, I, I do remember him saying that and uh I, I also was wondering how he knew to do how he knew to do that at that moment. And I guess it does make sense, you know, with what we know about uh inheriting Titans that it would be passed down. Yeah. And um I know we talked about this a little already, but kind of like the the common enemy theory versus like the entire world uniting i did pick up in episode 11 i think when aaron first meets pixies and they're walking along the wall i think that might be the first time aaron's introduced that idea because pixies they're talking about like i can't remember the the full context they're talking about the idea of like uniting people and get everyone getting everyone on the same page to help save humanity and pixies essentially says something to aaron along the lines of like if there is a common enemy the entire world would unite in defense like theoretically talking about that and i'm like is that the first time aaron realizes that that is a plausible option what? perhaps yeah. um for where like, he goes down the road <laughs> yes 
Okay, oh, that, that's man. a that's a seed planted in yeah. your mind. Wow. So that's Aaron learns that I didn't catch again. Aaron learned so much from the people around him in this season that I think influence the way he develops over the next few seasons. I want to say, kind of going off of that, I didn't realize this the first viewing, but Erwin himself, I think, is one of the people that sort of influences, uh, not uh, Erwin Smith, not Aaron. Yeah, their names are so similar. (laughs) So the commander, Commander Erwin Smith. Like, there are a lot of instances, I think Levi says, or even Erwin himself says, that he has to make these difficult decisions at the cost of, of like, the, the lives of the scouts or even, you know, when the female titan is ravaging Stohas later, like, the uh, civilian casualties. Um, I'm pretty sure he says something along the, line, along the lines of, like, you have to kind of be a monster and throw away your humanity to make these big decisions. And I think, Brian, you were going to touch upon that um, later at some point. Like, there are a lot of quotations that were like quotes from the season that kind of revolve around that. But you can see that, you know, Erwin, in the decisions he's making for the scouts, as gruesome as they are, he knows that the outcome of this is going to push humanity in the right direction to thrive and survive against this Titan threat, which obviously it goes and in, grows into something a lot more complicated when Marley enters the picture. But again, I think Erwin is one of the prime examples that Aaron Yeager draws from when it comes to like what choices need to be made in this war against Titans or later on in this war against the world. Yeah, that's a really good point. Ton of stuff about the choices you have to make and what you have to sacrifice for the greater, uh, I guess what you interpret as good. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. <laughs> um, ag- again, I have something going back here to episode one. Uh, Hans says that the kids don't need to worry because there hasn't been a breach in a hundred years. Uh, Aaron replies that his dad says, this is when they need to be most vigilant. Does that, is that because he thinks at this point that, you know, it's times of peace when we let our guard down or because he knows Marley is coming. Oh, oh. yeah, because he has memories. He has some insight into, like, maybe what Aaron is telling him from the future. So, yeah. Oh. Well, I, wait, I kind of assumed that he still knew everything that happened in Marley and that yeah. he lost his immediate memories surrounding when he became the attack titan, but he still remembers the outside world. Yeah. Yeah, I could see it's almost like a combination of both. Maybe like he sees how complacent everyone has gotten and knows that at any moment Marley can and will strike. And so it's just a, a, a one of those deadly combinations of like have we been too far removed from when, you know, prior to the walls being built um to the point where we're at a generation that just doesn't and can't comprehend the threat that is actually at hand. The, the threats that just, that is just literally waiting across, across the ocean. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Um, another thing I've written down, uh, again, after seeing Aaron's dad a couple of times, uh, it's, I see Zeke in him so much now. Yeah. I, <laughs> yeah. I could see that was, too. <laughs> if, if I had watched the end of what it, it must've been the end of, season two when maybe we see the beast titan on the wall for the first time and we see that zeke standing next to it i think if i would have rewatched season one at that moment i feel like i would 
you know what? I say I feel like I would have connected the dots, but I think I just said that I wouldn't have unless it was explicitly told to me. <laughs> uh, but uh, there's a lot of similar similarities there between hairstyle, the glasses. Um, I think right. there there is a lot there that I think uh, those two look alike. Yeah, I could definitely see it. Uh, and once you see like what what Dinah or Dina looks like, and then you look at Zeke. Um, I mean, Car- Aaron looks exactly like Carla, in my opinion. Like when I, yeah, it's the when eyes, I, I think. Yeah, when I first watch um, episode one, I'm like, they have the same colored eyes. His, Aaron's hair may, is maybe like a, a touch darker than Carla's, but I'm like, he's a spitting image of his mother. Um, but Zeke, yeah, he very much, I, I get Zeke vibes every time I, I see Grisha as well. All right. I also have an interesting line that I caught from the beginning of episode two here, which begins with uh, kind of the destruction of that district. Um, Mm -hmm. There's a priest going up and down the street uh, when the Titans first broke through, and he's saying, tethered captive merged with the clay, fraught, fixed, earthen, and heart and limb. What else may heaven do for sins such as ours? Uh, Just the speaking there with uh, tethered captive merged with clay and kind of knowing how Titans are formed. (laughs) I never... (laughs) You know, I have a note about that, too, because I think uh, the preacher also goes into um, verses saying, like, oh, avarice, what canst thou more? Who asked yada yada. Like, those are actually pulled from Dante's Divine Comedy. Um, I think specifically Dante's Purgatory, uh, which I didn't realize until I heard that line. But I didn't pick up all the the tethered and made of clay. Is that obviously that ties back to Emir? Yeah. That's what it made me think of. Oh, man. And then again, for <laughs> blaming them for sins such as ours, uh, they seem sinless right now. They're just a persecuted people. But knowing, again, how the rest of the world at least interprets them as sinful or at least needing to be punished, uh, I thought that was a very interesting line. Yeah, that that makes perfect sense. Like when we actually learn about Marley and that they're not so innocent themselves, especially the, the way they, they treat the Eldians, like who are in their territory, um, I think it's it's like it kind of is like full circle, right? Like on one end, one looks like the enemy, and then on the other end, they could look like the enemy. It also makes me think of the ED, the second ED for um, this first season, because it has, I think, spoilers on the wall behind um, all of the characters. So if you can think about like the second ending, it's like images of the main characters the scouts just kind of standing there in front of walls and if you look at the walls themselves um there are things like soldiers on horseback um i think carl you mentioned there's like one image that looks like it could be the coordinate there's an image of the ocean with ships again kind of signaling that there's a bigger world out there and it starts with a girl i think a girl dropping a seed and the seed's kind of rolling and at the beginning of the ed when it shows that coordinate like image there's no trees but then when it shows it again at the end of the ed you start to see like plants growing which i think Mm. is like the tree that emirs always buy in the whatever you call the paths or whatever yeah, I forget if it's called like, the tree of life. I don't think yeah, that's that, what like, it's called. Yeah, that glowing tree, <laughs> the, the big glowing tree. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Uh, guys, I, I know you talk about this in your episodes, but I have to say I never watch them just because I'm afraid of spoilers. Yeah. Which is totally fair because these definitely <laughs> spoil every single time. 
Oh, man. And again, I knowing what we know, maybe it would have been a spoiler. Maybe the way I am, I would have never picked up on it to begin with. But I just don't risk it. Yeah. I'm not I'm not willing to. No, that's a smart move. <laughs> yeah, because a- anime openings and endings are notorious for just straight up telling you what the entire season's going to be about. I don't know why they do that. But yeah, you always got to be very careful when you watch them. But I, I think there's some heavier spoilers in some of the openings and endings for like the later seasons, specifically two. I think it's season two, yeah. Shows like all of the Beast Titans and No way. I'm just like, oh, okay. There's just a bunch of <laughs> giant animals running through this field. Um, but you don't even really understand what that is until probably season three. So yeah, there's there's a lot. I, I was actually surprised at how little spoilers there were for the bigger attack on titan lore here in season one but it, you know the the second ed does have some imagery on the walls that would have crushed me personally seeing the beast titan in the uh opening uh song before actually seeing the first two times i saw him i know i was crushed uh you know we see him on the wall as the episode ends one time and mm-hmm. i was like what what is that what's happening <laughs> and then the moment i think it's the beginning of season three and he talks I think I feel like I might have just fallen to the floor. I was like, what is going on? Yeah. And, uh, that that left me shook. Yeah, it's going to be interesting when uh, when we get to the later seasons and rewatch that. And I mean, Zeke, I think Zeke just like straight up tells Aaron some crazy things that again, like at the time you're watching it, and you're like, I don't know what this means, but he just like straight up spoils stuff. Like he tells Aaron uh, I know we're jumping ahead to like season two, maybe. Uh, but he straight up, straight up tells Aaron in their first meeting, he's like, oh, by the way, I'm your half brother. And they're like, okay, <laughs> what does that mean? <laughs> yep. So another thing I noticed um, in terms of character hinting, because um, we have talked about Mikasa, we have talked about Aaron, and of course the, the Marley group, but I feel like there was a lot of hints dropped about the type of people Armin and John would be later on. Mm-hmm. Because um, specifically I'm thinking about Marco's relationship and his friendship with Jean. Um, let's give me my notes here to find it. Uh, there's an episode, I think eight, where Marco tells Jean that he has the potential to be a leader because he understands others. He can relate to the weak and, and understand where they're coming from and use that to motivate people to come together. And you see that actually happen a lot in, in season one. I think Jean has immense character development just in the first season. But when you stop and think about where he ends up in the final season, I mean, in some of those climactic battles from part two, he's the one leading the charge. He's straight up Mm -hmm. as like the one commanding the entire group, getting them motivated, bringing them together. When in season one, he was doubting if he was even worthy of being part of this group. So I love Jean. He's one of my favorite characters. So I just got to, I got to give him that shout out. You know, I never thought of him as one of my favorites, but seeing how much he does do, um, you know, thinking about only himself, he wants to be in the military police, live that nice cushy lifestyle to where he's come, like, it really is an incredible, like, 180 uh, of what he wanted to do versus what he chose to do, and he is a really cool character. Yeah, 
And it's kind of similar. I think there's like parallels with Armin too. I think in the same episode, maybe Mikasa tells Armin that he should have confidence because he has the ability to think and save everybody. And I think Aaron tells Armin something similar in a later episode, like you are smart. Like you can think of a way to overcome a lot of situations. And it's it's Armin that ultimately puts two and two together about Annie. It's Armin mm -hmm. who I think sort of convinces um, the the superiors to not kill Aaron with cannonballs um, when they find out he's, he's the Titan. Uh, there's just a lot that Armin has to offer right away, like very early on in the show. Yeah, I think the line you're referring to that Aaron tells Armin is that whenever things get really bad, you always know the right thing to do. Um, and I think Armin also played a role in when they got to the the... Guess garrison headquarters and there were titans roaming around and they used that like elevator plan to to kill off the remaining titans in that oh and like the, st the storeroom when they're trying yeah. to get to the gas yeah that he did was come also, up with that plan i believe that was also army's plan which <laughs> i watching this first season again I, I was reminded of just how much of a coward armin always was and i think that was one thing that was kind of annoying is that you know he's He's kind of like that typical anime character in that sense who's very self-doubting, doesn't know if he's if he's fit for the job or if he can aspire to be like who, his other friends and and the things that they are capable of. But there yeah, there are He'll many always feel worthless almost. <laughs> right. Yeah. But yeah, there are so many moments in this first season where you you see Armin uh, at the beginning of his sort of military strategist career. And obviously he plays a big role uh, in season four in that regard. So it's just yeah, nice seeing that, seeing those seeds planted for him here in season one, um, even though, yeah, he was pretty much like hitting the nail on the head with everything that came up in the season from, from that plan within the storeroom all the way to figuring out that Annie was the female Titan. Uh, knowing that, it does kind of hurt that Aaron wouldn't keep him in the loop with uh, with his master plan here at the uh, season four. <laughs> yeah. Uh, right. I wish, you know, it sounds like Armin could have been consulted and could probably come up with a way to make it work. Yeah. <laughs> Even though it would have been a game changer. Um, I think Armin kind of figured out what Aaron was doing. Yeah. Uh, that's true. Along the way. But yeah, it would just be nice to uh, you know, communicate a little bit better, Aaron. <laughs> but of course, maybe uh maybe Aaron knew what he wanted to do uh could never be planned out in the way Armin does. I mean, he already feels monstrous every time he uses the Colossal Titan. Doing something on the scale that Aaron's doing probably couldn't be fathomable to him. Yeah. Mm -hmm. And maybe that's why he left him out of the loop. Yeah, I could see that. Yeah, Armin takes that stuff way harder than, than Aaron does. Uh, I have another question for you guys here. Um, could you just reiterate, uh, remind me what the Marley Trio's objective is? Yeah, so they were sent um, to Paradis to find the founding titan. Yes. So they didn't know who had it. I think maybe they had suspicions that Grisha had it and they were trying to hunt him down. But essentially it was to come back with the founding Titan power so that they could then manipulate the Titans and become a powerhouse. Well, I, I don't think they knew that it was Grisha. Um, I think they knew it, like it was the royal family that had it because that's why they wanted to penetrate further into the three walls uh, because Grisha ended up stealing the founding Titan at that ceremony 
which happened right. after the breach. Mm, so, right. yeah, I think they were just going after, you know, like the royal family with whoever was inheriting the founding titan next. Right. And then they find out suddenly that Aaron is the attack titan. I think that deviates their plan. But hey, like Carl said earlier, added bonus to come home with the attack titan as well. Sure. Okay. Because again, uh, I'm watching this. And if their motivation is to wipe out the people of Paradise, then, you know, back in the back of my mind, I'm wondering, why don't they just break through all three walls immediately? You know, why <laughs> yeah. the wait here? Um, and again, even with that breaking of the second wall, I guess if you're, you know, at this point, we know nothing about the royal family. I don't know if they know where they're at, but it still sounds like a huge gamble in letting titans in a space where again if the person with that ability gets killed randomly well i guess if a titan did eat that person that person would transform back into a human with that ability so that might be like an eye opener but if they i don't know got crushed by a boulder or something when they're breaking through the barrier then you know again a random baby yeah yeah it's a really good point that they were taking a huge risk by doing that and that might have been part of the reason why they kind of just like did a hit and run they opened up the gate and then they just disappeared after that <laughs> um maybe to just be able to observe thing observe things as you mentioned like as humans and know like keep tabs on what's what's going on but even then that that is a huge task to take on because there's a lot of people there and i i guess i i forget how much was discussed before they left marley but uh, i guess i can forgive them as well as we know they're children of what the age eight or nine when this happens the first time at least so So i guess i can't i guess i can't fault them for maybe not thinking the most strategically (laughs) (laughs) huh interesting um i have a quote here uh in episode four uh while practicing fighting reiner tells aaron that the enemy comes in many forms oh that went over my head yeah i don't have that in my notes Uh, again i believe that's where they're just practicing sparring yeah, uh, I think with a knife and Aaron's like, what, what am I ever going to do with this? This will never be helpful in a Titan battle. And that's when Reiner comes in with that line. Yeah, basically signaling that the actual enemy that ends up being most prominent towards the end of the show are the humans, uh, not so much the Titans themselves. And I think Erwin, I think he knew that going that's into all the, this that's where that meme comes from like sorry that was a strange thing oh to yeah ask. where Aaron like <laughs> comes up behind Aaron, like grabs his shoulder just like what do you think the enemy is and Aaron's like what and he's like sorry that was a strange <laughs> thing to ask like he's he asks and i don't know if this is just, just the translations we specifically read but he asks what do you think the enemy is not who so it's almost like he's trying to see if Aaron realizes that the enemy is not just the Titans, that it could be other people as well, which I think is why Aaron, Aaron was like, we have to build this plan to capture the female Titan. He already kind of put two and two together that there was a human enemy among their ranks. Gotcha. Not necessarily knowing that there's humans outside the wall, but just that they at least have a traitor. Yeah. 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 Gotcha. Uh, I have I have something else, uh, not really a hint to anything, but more of an interesting comment where Armin shows Aaron a book that his grandpa left, showing him, or at least telling him about the outside world. And oh, yeah. I'm wondering who Armin's grandpa is. Yeah, like how did he have that book if they've been in the walls for 100 years? And I think Aaron even reacts saying, that's illegal. You're not supposed to have that. <laughs> <Contraband>. <laughs> right. Yeah. I don't know, but then 
we don't really find out because I think his, his poor grandpa gets eaten when they send him out to the walls. Oh, that's right. <laughs> yeah, he leaves him with his hat, right? Yeah. Oh, that was sad. Yeah. Yeah. Again, I did he say his parents died the same way? His parents died exploring or at least have never come back. I, I believe so. Yeah, I think he his parents also probably got eaten by Titans or were lost. Had the same dream and never returned. Yeah. Oh, man. <laughs> but yeah, it's it's thanks to that book that I think sparks a lot of the story because it's Armin and, you know, him being like a, a wide-eyed kid saying there's, what did he call it, like flame, uh, oceans of fire when he's talking about like the, the deserts yeah. and like like water like frozen lakes or something i can't remember what he said something very poetic right that describes yes. the different <laughs> terrains out there that they don't know because they just have like prairie land and forests um and that that drive to see the outside world i think coincides so well with aaron's drive to be free that mm-hmm. it's just a it's the, the perfect combination to set things in motion uh another line i have pulled up here is from episode seven i believe this is where uh the titans got in for the second time, and are attacking the supply depot. Um, But Annie asks Reiner, do we move out? And he says, not yet. We have to let them gather up first. And again, Mm. you know, we know they're speaking in code here. Uh, We know that they're talking about something else. It seems like all the Titans, if they were referring to Titans, have gathered at uh, the, the gas supply building. But I'm wondering where they could be moving out to uh, if if they were planning on ditching at that moment, yeah, that that's a good point. Um, and again, I'm I'm always really impressed at like the lengths that Reiner, Berthold, and Annie will go to protect their identity as like you know technically traitors or Marleyans when like they're willing to go into these these very dangerous, risky situations. Um, to one, keep Aaron alive, and then two. Um, to not let themselves be known for who they really are. Because, yeah, at some point, I'm like, if I were them, I would just ditch and be like, this is not worth it. I've got Titan powers. I'm getting out of here. Like, I don't need this. I'll probably die if I go into that situation. But they're they're always they're always rearing forward. They're always right there. Yeah. <laughs> um, Courtney, to speak what you said earlier, again, at the end of episode nine, uh, we see, I think, that flashback of Aaron's dad uh, about to turn him into a Titan and again, he says, when the ability confuses you, let their memories act as your guide. Oh, and again, I, I didn't catch that. <laughs> no, I had that in my notes, too. <laughs> yeah, just, I guess, hinting at us that they can access the memories of their past inheritors. It almost makes me wonder, like, if that was Grisha's plan all along, like, if if things went south, like, I'm going to let my son eat me and take over the powers, I'm I'm wondering why Grisha just didn't tell Aaron, like, ahead of time. You know what I mean? Well, they kind of talked about this in season four, or, like, going through Grisha's memories. Like, Grisha had Zeke first. That was his, like, first, not to call him experiment, but he wanted to use Zeke as the, the catalyst for the restorationists to restore Eldian glory, but... You know, Zeke took it the wrong way because he felt like he was being brainwashed by Grisha. And then that led to Grisha being outed by Zeke and then getting banished to Paradis. And so I think Grisha purposefully took a different approach with Aaron, where he wanted Aaron to naturally come to that same conclusion of, you know, seeking freedom and 
fighting the Titan threat, which is what causes Grisha to like say to Air, like, oh, I have to take care of matters in the inner district, but I'll show you uh, the, uh, the, the basement when I get back, right? Yeah, and he does say all of your all of the answers to your, your questions are in the basement. Yeah. But it's just like he knows that the first transformation causes people to lose their memories, and yet he's dumping all this stuff on Aaron just before he transforms him. Like, rely on the memories and go to the basement and all these things. Mm-hmm. Like, he's not going to remember half of that, Maybe. which he doesn't. He was probably <laughs> right. just pressed for time. Yeah, I felt like, I, I don't, I don't got to worry about this stuff. Just eat me, please. Maybe just write it down in a note and put it in his pocket. <laughs> uh, yeah, that's a good idea. <laughs> Uh, it was interesting, though, that, again, Grisha did go through with it. I mean, we do see in Season 4, Part 2, where he breaks down after inheriting the uh, founding Titan uh, in that in that sanctuary and, you know, seeing that vision of Zeke and saying, you have to stop him, right? Yeah. Mm, yeah. He, he didn't want to have to do any of that but Aaron Aaron's like no you're going to do it forward. yeah <laughs> <laughs> oh man all right uh i have a couple other things here uh, again a note here in episode 10 where Reiner quickly goes to check out the uh the battle scene when they're interrogating Aaron for the first time uh some of that doesn't seem to have come up again here are the purple flowers inside the half-made body purple flowers Oh yeah, there was a shot of the ground, um, and there was a flower that was still, like, blooming. Is that what you're referring to, Brian? Yeah, it's his half-made body. I think it's just when he used his body to stop the cannon. But inside the chest cavity are a couple purple flowers that they comment weren't there before. Oh really? I were they on the ground, like growing out of the ground? Yes. That's interesting because I missed that comment, but I thought they were showing the flowers as in like Aaron has the ability, even though he seems like a monster and he could hurt people, he actually has the ability to be very purposeful and very deliberate in the way he uses his Titan power to protect things around him. Kind of like with the um, the later transformation when he grabs the spoon. The spoon is like completely undamaged. It's not, you know, warped by the heat. It's it's literally just exactly how it was because he's able to meticulously control the Titan powers to not hurt the thing he's trying to protect. But knowing that there actually was a comment like that, now I'm like, I don't know what that was about. Yeah, I, I can't remember it being referenced anywhere throughout the rest of the series. <laughs> yeah, yeah. I, I actually pulled up a Reddit post um, it's saying that the purple flowers are Campanula, uh, but people also are kind of uh, theorizing what the meaning of it is. Um, one person says it represents royalty, another says like birth or rebirth. Um, I don't know how we can kind of connect that with. But do <laughs> with tri- this... Titan tra- Titan transformations cause plants to grow? No, <laughs> that's what's throwing me. Yeah, if anything, it destroys everything around it when the lightning hits. <laughs> so yeah, that's a really good point. I feel like maybe maybe that's a like a plot hole or an overlooked thing because there was another instance. If you remember the second time the Colossal Titan shows up, Aaron goes to attack it. It spouts a bunch of steam, and then when the steam clears, it's just gone. But that's right. the only instance where a Titan body just straight up disappears. Every other time they have to exit the Titan body, the body still exists, but then it starts to evaporate. 
Mm. So I'm like, what happened there? How did the Colossal Titan just disappear that time? And also, Same um, thought. The, the Titan scars that are supposed to appear on a Titan wielder's face. Yeah, in this first season, if you notice, it's just like Aaron has tire marks going across his, his face instead of like the <laughs> like the little lines under his eyes. Yeah. I was reading it's because uh, the animators didn't realize that was going to be like a significant part of like Titan wielder's looks. But <laughs> I just thought that was a weird continuity error. Not continuity error, but like they just didn't have the foresight yet. But if they did put that in there, that would make me wonder the time that like Bertolt does transform to the Colossal and Reiner transforms into, oh, I guess that was earlier on, but like the second time that Bertolt transforms into the Colossal, doesn't he have to go back into the ranks of like the the trainees? So wouldn't he have right. lines on his face and someone be like, what happened to your face? Unless he just laid low re- for a little bit. Yeah. Yeah, I don't remember seeing Reiner immediately. I'm yeah. sorry, uh, Bert Holt. Yeah, he was probably trying to like weasel his way back. Just put a little foundation on. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> uh, speaking of those continuity things, I had two things here. Again, I hate to say that anything could be wrong with this series. Um, but I'm wondering if at some point, again, we know that people with who have inherited Titan abilities also heal super quick. Mm-hmm. I imagine... Aaron must have gotten to a couple more scraps uh, before he found out he was a Titan that maybe he just healed immediately from. That's a good and point. Because, I'm wondering if that ever came up. Yeah, because, I mean, they're they're training. They're fighting each other. There's no way you wouldn't get away with some cuts and scrapes and whatnot. And I believe there's a part... Um, when Aaron is trying to balance on his ODM gear, uh, he's balancing, but then he flips forward and smacks his head against the ground. And the immediate yes. next scene is Aaron sitting at the table and steam is coming up off of his head where you hit the ground. Mm-hmm. And I'm sure like back then we were thinking like, oh, that's a, a comedic way of saying like, oh, he's, you know, his head hurts himself or yeah, his head hurts really bad after he hit the ground. But now I think it's because he had Titan powers and his body was healing itself. Man, uh, speaking of, again, another thing with that, uh, that leads immediately uh, into when, oh man, when Annie, as a Titan, caught Reiner for the first time, and it looked like she squished him. Yeah. (laughs) Uh, Reiner gets out of it, picks up Armin, you know, his face is covered in blood, but again, it immediately steams off and his head is fine a second later. And, you know, if I'd thought about it for a second, wouldn't that be odd? Even the beginning of the mm-hmm. next episode, they mentioned how Armin hurt his head so much. They mentioned head like four times. And they're like, did you notice? Did you notice how Reiner's head like healed immediately? Yeah. And the answer was no. <laughs> well, I, I was assuming that the blood on Reiner's face was actually Annie's blood, like her Titan blood, which is why it, it steamed off. But that doesn't that doesn't answer why there was a giant blood splatter when she bone crushing yeah when she like squeezed her fist and like kind of squished him unless like it was her own blood and they were like trying to fake it but i'm also thinking 
with this this whole thing in season four we see Aaron sustain injuries intentionally when he cut his eye out and he chopped his leg off and he's you know sure. trying to hide in Marley so I'm wondering if maybe like the opposite happens for like Reiner and Bertold and Annie where they could c- uh, intentionally keep injuries to avoid starting to steam in front of everybody but that wouldn't that wouldn't answer anything about Aaron because he wouldn't even know at that time that he had that ability well again I will say to your point, Courtney, that that has been confirmed. Um, you know, if Aaron couldn't do it earlier, I wonder if, if it's something that you have to intentionally do. Uh, I can't necessarily explain that. But there was a moment in season two where Reiner sustains a, like, broken arm for, like, a good bit of time. I believe it's after the night raid on the castle. Mm-hmm. And then the moment he tells Aaron that he and Berthold are those titans, he just takes off the sling and heals immediately. Oh, yeah. yeah. Oh, that's a really good point. So I figured it was something that just had to do with advanced Titan ability. Yeah. I think it's just a matter of like Aaron learning more about his Titan powers because um, I think Erwin in this first season says like if when they're fighting the female Titan and she gets away after she screams and all the Titans run over to her, um, he says like, we didn't see her body necessarily. What if she's able to muster enough strength to transform again? Mm-hmm. And then we notice that's a thing in season four where Aaron's able to transform like six times, 10 times, and he's totally <laughs> that was fine. so cool. Yeah. <laughs> Built up stamina there. Yeah. Um, going back, one thing I do want to mention, going back to the part where um, Reiner quote unquote gets squished by Annie, the moment right before she grabs him, they zoom in on her face and she's definitely smirking. Like she's definitely mm-hmm. like smirking at Reiner, like I'm going to squish you now. Like, you know, they're obviously in, in, um, in, in cahoots, cahoots with each other, but it's just interesting to look at that smirk now and see it in a totally different way than I saw the first time. Plus, I think in that moment, Reiner probably told her where Aaron's location was because uh, Armin comments later after Reiner breaks out of her hand that the female Titan starts running towards like the the center rear, and he's like, "That's where Aaron's supposed to be." Because Armin had already told Reiner where he thinks Aaron is in their formation. Yeah, and Reiner was saying, "Oh, I was first told that she that he was on the right flank, and yeah. that's where the female Titan came right. from was the right flank." <laughs> right. Oh my gosh! So yeah, he he right. gave uh, misinformation thanks to Erwin's big brain moment of giving everyone different locations. I did think I don't think I have it written down, but I did think there was something suspicious about the way Reiner attacked Annie in that moment. Like almost it was too obvious, or or something like. We just saw her try to be attacked the same way. She easily dodged it. And now this happens. There was, I felt like there was just something suspicious knowing what we do about Mm -hmm. how Reiner went about it. I just, uh, I just can't put my finger on it right now. No, that makes sense because especially before that, we see the female Titan pummel through all of these like experienced scouts. Yeah. Yeah, and, And then you have that horrible yo-yo thing that courtney hates i hate it oh man (laughs) yeah it's like reiner's technically uh a first year cadet like you you would think for him to go up against this i think they call him abnormal titan or now we call him titan shifter that he would need a little bit more effort but yeah and he kind of just goes right for her face near her ear i'm sure in that moment he was like middle back or middle center like he just kind of whispered it to her and like gave her the the correct coordinates and then allowed her to grab him so he looked like he was being attacked yeah i believe later on i think armin thinks that 
he wrote the coordinates on her hand, which is why she looks at that for a hot sec. Mm, okay. It is something that I vaguely remember. So maybe he carved it into her palm. And then oh, she does look at yeah. her hand for a second. Yeah, you're right. Maybe that's what caused the blood splatter or something, right? Like when he's in her hand, he's like somehow writing the, the, the signal to her, writing the information to her. Yeah, I could see that as well. I had one other thing to mention in terms of continuity. Uh, I thought about this once while watching an episode, and after something cool happened, I immediately forgot for the rest of the season. Um, but Mikasa's wrist. Oh, the tattoo? And the tattoo, and I remembered, again, to look out for it for maybe like two minutes, and then there was a battle, and I totally forgot about it. Uh, but it was something that I meant to look for, because, again, that should be there the entire time. So I think with that, because the first three seasons were uh, animated by Wit Studio, but I mm -hmm. think they removed certain plot elements and storylines to try to condense it into anime form from the manga. I believe Mikasa's, um, I forget if it's just a birthmark or, a, or like you said, tattoo. I think it's um, tattoo, yeah. They removed that element from their adaptation, but it was reintroduced in season four when mappa took over yeah i think I, honestly i think wit studio just knew so little about how important these details were that they probably didn't think they were worth adding um but that's that's isayama for you right like he just continues to surprise yeah uh, again i can't imagine i can't even think of too many moments when uh they're they are wearing short sleeves honestly yeah, yeah. <laughs> they always have their same outfits on yeah so, I don't know, I, I thought about it once, and then, again, immediately forgot. Um, Captain Pixis, in episode 11, says, If humanity is wiped off the face of the Earth, it will not have been the Titan's fault, but through killing each other. Oh, man, he just knew. <laughs> Even though he, he seems like a drunkard, he just had, like, such perspective on things. Maybe it's, a, you know, like, just drunk intelligence. Like, <laughs> His mind opens up after drinking from his flask. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> but again, uh, a line that has much more significance now. Mm -hmm, for sure. Yeah. And in the following episode, um, I have here on episode 12, um, when Armin's freaking out about like Aaron's Titan not moving, but him still being inside of it, he says, oh, maybe I'll just cut Aaron out of the Titan because this is the vital point for Titans and it must be related to the mystery behind them. Again, Armin's smart, like right? he, he knows things before he even realizes it. Um, so that was another hint dropped of like, there's something important about this spot on the Titan's neck, not only for regular Titans, but even for Titan shifters. Man, that should have that should have told us all right then why they always go for the nape. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> it was so they they told us, they showed us. <sighs> um I have here in episode 14, uh there's people talking about the military having a Titan on their side. I believe this is during the uh, uh maybe the legal battle over what to do with Aaron. Yeah, like and the, the tribunal. The tribunal, yep. And again, at this moment, we have people arguing over whether or not he's a savior or a traitor, which feels like, again, a huge part of season four at this oh, point. Oh, man, yeah. Yeah. <laughs> that Even back then, people were very unsure about him. Um, and I think what's important to note, maybe, is the guy who's arguing against Aaron during that trial is the same guy who in... Uh, 
his name is Niall, and in mm-hmm. season four, he's the guy that that saves Falco because he's uh, the one that walks over to Falco, um, or walks Falco over to Gabby, and discreetly gives Falco back to Gabby as like the town's being attacked. But he's also, unfortunately, the guy who then turns into a titan when Zeke screams and tries to go at Gabby and like lunges for her mm-hmm. after like he tells everybody about like his family he's trying to protect. His story was super tragic, um, but it's just interesting yeah. to see him go from season one where he's like definitely against Aaron, we need to kill him, all of this stuff, to um, almost siding with Aaron in season four in order to protect Paradise. <sighs> They, they do tragedy well on this show. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> um, and uh, also in episode 14 there, when people are arguing about him, he yells at some point, Aaron does, uh, that everyone needs to put all their faith in him. Yeah. Mm-hmm. He says, bet on me. I'll, I'll, I'll protect you guys. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Um, there's another quote I have here in episode 15 here, uh, where personally it sounds... To me, possible foreshadowing, if we were to guess things that were going to happen in season four, part three, uh, the possibility of Armin dying. Uh, He has a line there where he says uh, he is willing to sacrifice himself to save others if he knows the reason why. Oh, I mean, I, think, I hope I hope that doesn't happen because I love Armin. Right. I mean, yeah. <laughs> That's going to be sad if that his, happens. His but. quote unquote death in season three. That sent me. Oh, that could into be, an that could be the reference. Yeah, oh. when he gets burnt to a crisp by Bertolt's colossal yeah, titan. Yeah, but it, it could possibly happen again. Oh. <laughs> uh, yeah, it's uh, that that line just hurt a little to hear. Yeah. Um, episode seventeen. Some interesting foreshadowing. Uh, there was a scene uh, where Sasha, out of nowhere, you know what? To set the scene first, I believe this is after another big titan battle. Um, and just there's tons of casualties. Everyone's hurt. Everyone's lost hope. Even the people who aren't hurt that bad are saying, like, they need to go to the hospital or something. You know, and Sasha, out of nowhere, clutches her stomach and says she needs to be taken to the infirmary. And, of course, that's how she dies. Oh. Oh, no. I think the scene went over my head. I'm trying to remember it. But, yeah, like, she gets shot in the the chest or stomach by Gabby. Oh no! <laughs> yeah, yeah. Um, I I forget exactly again the events surrounding that scene. This is clearly way after the uh, the fight to get all that gas. But uh, yeah, she she seems to be sitting. Someone's saying, "Be a little more like Sasha. See she's ha- see how she's holding it together." And then again, she just clutches her stomach and says she hurts. Yeah, and that made me think of season four. Oh. That that part is probably one of the most intense, intensely sad parts of all of Attack on Titan. Mm-hmm. Oh. <laughs> yep, that hurts. That hurts. I also found in episode twenty four here. Now uh, I don't have too much, too many more notes left. Um, but that uh, in episode twenty four, uh, even after knowing that Annie was the female Titan, Aaron still can't transform with the goal of fighting her. Because he thinks of her as a friend. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And I think, again, even knowing this, this shows how far Aaron is willing to go or how dedicated he is to the people he cares about. That even knowing this about her, he still at the moment can't bring himself to fight her, even at the expense of Armin and Mikasa. 
Yeah, and I think deep down inside, Aaron knows that she maybe isn't truly the enemy because we always have to remember watching Reiner, Bertold, and Annie, or even Reiner and Annie in the later seasons, that their hand is almost forced because they constantly say, I, I just want to get home. I have somebody I want to return to. I have something that I'm fighting for. And it's not for like the greater good of Marley. It's to protect their families who are essentially being held hostage almost by the country. Right. It's like you have to do, you have to fulfill the the needs and wants of Marley or we kill your family. Um, so it, it's like, Aaron can almost sense that this isn't what they want. They are technically fellow Eldians. Um, and he has these hesitations when it comes to Annie or when it comes to Reiner in season four. He takes the time to talk to Reiner when they're in Marley. Um, and while, yeah, they they definitely clash fists a lot in season four, there I feel like have been multiple opportunities for Aaron to just off Reiner. But there must be something holding him back. Yeah. Yeah, and even, uh, again, talking about their humanity and stuff, I didn't quite remember this many references to Annie's dad the first time watching it. I didn't either. I was surprised mm -hmm. at how many flashbacks, like very blatant flashbacks there were. It, of course, we didn't know like those flashbacks were taking place in Marley because they purposefully bleach out the backgrounds. Uh, but, yeah, I, I knew that we had seen at least one flashback with her father right before she crystallizes, um, but... Yeah, watching this again, I think there are like two or three other flashbacks. So it's a lot more than I expected. Yeah, and it shows that again, like they have something they're fighting for. And it's the flashbacks that I think um, prompt Annie to protect herself because it's not about protecting the information. It's about getting home to her dad. And I was and I paused during those scenes too, or at least re rewound it. Uh, just to see if maybe there was a detail in the background hinting that they weren't on Paradise. Mm -hmm. um, but the details, again, are just, you know, like a, almost a log cabin. Looks like it could have been anywhere on Paradise. Nothing that hinted that she came from elsewhere. Yeah. Because yeah. I think in season four, when we see that scene properly again, um, it's like their, their home is almost in like a like a sewage kind of area. Because I know there was like uh, brick walls in the back. So it's not necessarily a forest as I had thought originally in this flashback. But yeah, just a very clever obscuring there to, to keep us thinking this was all happening in the same area. Yeah. Mm -hmm. uh, I just have two or more things personally that I've written down. And uh, again, I've. I feel like I've hinted at this again. I think Carl, you said it earlier too, but a lot of things said in the last two episodes here that mm -hmm. feel like they have a huge impact where we are at now in season four. Uh, again, Armin says those who can't abandon anything can't change. Wait, those who can't abandon everything can't change anything. Yes. Or someone who can't sacrifice everything. Yeah. Yeah. Which again, we clearly see Aaron doing now. He has sacrificed everything, his home, his people his friends his family uh so again it's just crazy again seeing what aaron's doing now aaron does say while fighting annie that i will destroy the entire world <laughs> yeah yes. and he also says i think right before she, he's about to eat her um or at least rip her out of like the nape of the neck he says I'm free. Like he's just going absolutely berserk. And he says like, I'm free. And you also get kind of those hints at, at freedom or Aaron's desire to be free when 
Armin and Jean are walking to their questioning or whatever, and Armin looks out into the sky and sees two birds. And as mm -hmm. he's describing like the idea of freedom, he also you at the same time you see the two birds just make it right over the wall. They just fly yeah. right over the top of the wall, which again is like all about what Aaron's goal is and has been. To become a flying titan. Yeah. <laughs> yes. He just wants to be a bird. Just need some Red Bull. <laughs> well, uh, my last two things, again, are speaking of that exact moment there. Uh, Armin, I believe, does say something about abandoning your humanity to rise above the monsters. Yes. Which, again, we do see a lot in what Aaron is doing now. But then Jean says, uh, if we do that, can it even be considered a victory? Uh, if that is any foreshadowing to part four here, uh, it sounds like Jean might be the one to lead a revolt to fight the battle against Aaron. Yeah, those were the two biggest quotes that I pulled out of season one as well. Yeah. Um, that throwing away your humanity to defeat the monsters. Like that is clearly what Aaron is doing now that he is in his founding Titan form and he's activated the rumbling. Like this is the... Like, this is the point of no return, but it it's, in his mind, for the greater good. But then, yeah, John has that lingering question where it's like, you can do this, but I think the the subtitles that I saw for it, it was like, is that the only way to win? And and John is, I think, in season four, the um, most vocal and individual uh, when it comes to the morality of what Aaron's doing. And he mm. struggles so hard in those, um, in, in parts one and two of the final season with like accepting what Aaron's doing um, or deciding to move against it. Like of all, I think him and Connie struggle the most with um, with what Aaron's doing and, and whether or not it's actually the right thing. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, if there was one more thing I might, guess at it might be that annie might be the key to aaron's downfall if uh if he were to fail um just ending season four with the same fight that we saw in season one and then aaron does have that line there where he says you know if i haven't if i didn't hesitate when i saw her you know that would have been it pretty much mm -hmm. and again yeah. he hasn't seen annie he doesn't even know she's back yet you know and uh maybe he Maybe he hesitates again when he sees her for the first time. Oh, that would be really full circle. Yeah, <laughs> finishing what they started. <laughs> but uh, but those personally are all the thoughts I had on season one of Attack on Titan. Um, I think I just have one question. It's not really related to uh, the things we've discussed. So I don't know if, Courtney, do you have any other things you want to bring up the last thing i wanted to mention is like the very last scene the huge cliffhanger scene that we're left with ah. in season one that we had to wait <laughs> yeah. what four or five years yeah. to see anything else about the show it's the wall crumbling and exposes a titan inside of the wall and that's it and then they just end the season they're like we'll have fun waiting <laughs> and then you know they don't even address that yeah <laughs> until I guess season four, I guess, or even like later half of season three. Yeah, you get like some idea about like the walls being or co some confirmation about the walls being built with the Titan powers of hardening, I think in season two or three. And I think like the, the religious group, the, the wall worshiping individuals, maybe comment on it. If, if I'm remembering correctly, it's a bit, a bit fuzzy. Um, but I mean, that is the first huge hint 
at the rumbling, mm-hmm. which again, we had no idea was even a thing back then. We didn't even find out really about it till season four, the rumbling itself. But right there, they just kind of said, hey, by the way, <laughs> there's a giant army of Titans inside of Parodies. I believe I was naive. And again, if it's not explicitly stated to me, I think it goes over my head. Um, but I think I saw that one Titan and was wondering like, wow, what's that one Titan doing there? I, de- <laughs> I don't think at the time I imagined that every single wall had Titans everywhere. Yeah, right. same. <laughs> Like, it could have been just um, another one of the, the traitors who has just been there for a long time. <laughs> waiting to sure, maybe he was captured somehow. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> who knows? But all um, little that we knew. Yeah, and again, there is something fishy again about the priests, the, the cult, the whole time. Again, they're saying the whole season how we have to protect and worship the walls. And I believe season mm. two starts with them interrogating the priest, and then I think he ends up being assassinated. Uh, if I'm remembering correctly. So again, we don't get to the secret there. Um, but again, it was just very interesting to to see that. I believe I was lucky and maybe started season one when I heard season two was being announced. So mm. luckily didn't have to wait four or five years for, for something more. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> you timed it just perfectly. I And you know what? This is what I do with a lot of my shows. Uh, I feel like I, I watch a lot of things that have ended just so that I know I can finish it completely. And, you know, this is going to crush me for Made in Abyss now. Yeah. If I have to wait years for this. <laughs> we can suffer I'm together. To... All right. I guess that's a little better. <laughs> I'll, I will. You guys will be the first people I text when uh, I hear news about season three. Yes. Yeah, definitely. <laughs> um, I think the the only thing I wanted to bring up and again, this is not related to our very in-depth discussions, which I've enjoyed with both of you. This is more so a question about the the opening songs. I know, Brian, you said you kind of, you tend to skip those just because they might contain spoilers, but I'm not sure if you've, you've heard the opening songs uh, or are familiar with them. Uh, but there's two for season one. The first right. one is Guren no Yumiya which translates to Crimson, oh sorry, Crimson Bow and Arrow, and then the second one, Jiu no Tsubasa, which translates to Wings of Freedom, both by Linked Horizon, which I'm holding out hope that they are going to come back one more time to round us out in the final season part 3 with either an OP or or an ED cuz I just love their music. I wanted to ask both of you which of these two songs is your favorite? Uh between these two and no no others? Yeah, just these two opening songs for season one. Me personally, it'd have to be the first one. It's just iconic. The first one. Yeah. <laughs> it's just like that's that when you think Attack on Titan music, like that one immediately comes up. That and the Shinzo Sasageo or this mm-hmm. that this one from season two. Uh yeah, yeah. Season two. That yeah. one is like I think the most iconic because it's like the national anthem of anime, basically. Um, but no, I, I for me I'd say the first OP. Yeah, that that does feel iconic. Uh, Again, I was watching an episode with a friend this weekend uh, preparing for this. And again, uh, I believe his wife walked in and she wasn't, I believe, very familiar with the show, but she knew the theme song. Uh, And it was humming (laughs) that even a little bit in the background. And, you know, that that is a powerful theme song. It it gets you in the mood. You are ready to go when you hear that. And uh, it just does everything you need for for that show. 
<laughs> it's funny you say that because one of there's a I don't know if you're familiar with the PBS Kids show Arthur, uh, but the, uh, a long time ago I yeah. was. <laughs> There's an episode, it's like a dream sequence where Arthur's little sister, D.W., turns into a giant um, and she's like ravaging the town. And someone took that clip from the show and put <laughs> the opening song from Attack on Titan over it. And it just works so well because you imagine D.W. as this titan. Um, I can share this link if I can find it. Uh, after our recording and we'll put it up on the discord for anyone who wants to see it <laughs> so yeah it's Please just, do. yeah it's a very iconic song i mean its own right but i think i'm going to be the odd one out of the three of us and say that my personal favorite from season one is actually the second opening song oh why is that i feel like like the first one it's it's intense both songs are intense because it's like that rock orchestra sound uh, but I feel like the second song, uh, Wings of Freedom, is it's almost like Shinzo Wosasagio, where it's more like a, a rousing patriotic anthem. And I think that's what attracts me to it so much is like I want to stand up on my feet and like salute the, the Wings of Freedom flag whenever I hear it. Um, I think the first song, it gets me hype, but the second song gets me patriotic for a country that doesn't even exist. <laughs> That's the best way I can put it. I think that is put perfectly. I think I hear the first one and I'm almost ready to mosh. Yes. Uh, you know, like I'm ready to see Aaron in attack fight in attack Titan form just go. And again, the second one, I don't think you could have put it any better. You know, I'm picturing Armin debating in front of the people that are like uh considering what to do with Aaron the first time and he strikes this strikes the soldier's pose and Pixis comes in and can't you see like this is the you know a uh, form of a true soldier here mm -hmm. and again even just hearing the first like three bars of the second part theme song that's exactly how it feels yeah because yeah it sounds like an anthem in itself um mm -hmm. and really just signifies like what the scouts in this first season like what they're fighting for and what they need to do to like advance um humanity to till non-extinction levels <laughs> non-extinction <laughs> yeah yeah i totally see that that's a really good description <laughs> uh but i think that brings us to our final thoughts for attack on titan season one um so i think we can each give a proper rating for this season right yeah i think that'd be fun um <laughs> so, i think if any if you guys have closing remarks about season one and and yeah what you would rate it and if it's the same rating which brian i think you had already shared but if it's the same rating as what you gave it the first time you watched it yeah so what would be your chicken wings of freedom fries out of 10 <laughs> me okay i'll, I'll go <laughs> for first for everybody so I'll, I'll i'll say season one again was um just as if not more impressive the second time i watched it knowing that i could kind of take more of a breather and absorb every aspect, the animation, um, the writing, the uh, the music, just like every facet of it because I didn't have to use all of my brain power to process the information that was being shared on screen. Uh, I think it just allowed me to 
get like the the full sense of the work that Wit Studio and Isayama put into this initial part of the story. Um, I gave Attack on Titan season one a nine out of ten um, when I first watched it. Uh, I would say it's easily still a nine out of ten, if not a nine point five out of ten. It is just so well done um, and one of the the craziest rides you can get in a season one for an anime. Um. Let me, I just want to start here by saying I love talking about anime with you guys. Uh, <laughs> this, has been, this has been the fastest two hours of my life, and uh, I just get so excited uh, to talk to you guys every single time. Uh, this, this has been a lot of fun. Um, I would, yikes, I have two different considerations for this right now. Um, Attack on Titan Season 1, uh, compared to almost every other anime I've seen, uh, is still a 10 out of 10 to me uh, i recently finished tokyo ghoul and uh enjoyed that a lot for the most part um but again season one of attack on titan i think is better than tokyo ghoul interesting okay um season one attack on titan compared to the other seasons of attack on titan uh at that point might become like an eight or a nine just because even the other seasons just get even better yeah i can see you know that. but if I was comparing this to any other anime I was watching, uh, I think this is still a step above the rest. And uh, it's a it's got to be a 10 out of 10 for me, dog. <laughs> <laughs> I think for me, uh, this would be a, a 9 out of 10. And it's kind of along the same points that you made, Brian. Uh, like just watching this again was such a thrill. And just getting the same feelings of excitement and nostalgia but also with that, just being enriched in seeing all the hints and clues that come full circle in the final season that we see here in season one, was it was just such a treat. Um, and yeah, even if on the surface, like the first season of Attack on Titan looks like a typical good versus evil story from the get-go, I think everything from the animation to the world building to the interesting characters just comes together very precisely in creating this experience that's that's still as inspiring as when I first watched this show. And I think I mentioned like this was my gateway back into anime. So I hold Attack on Titan season one very close to my heart. Um, it sets I, the bar so high. Yes, it does. Um, I know like some arcs, like I mentioned, the, the scouting mission arc dragged on a little bit more than expected. And, you know, in comparison to a lot of the other seasons, that we see in Attack on Titan, like I, I would say like season four kind of blows season one out of the water. But mm -hmm. I think even with all of those small nitpickies or like nitpicked details that I, or what am I saying? All those little <laughs> negative things that I have to say about season one, it was never to the point that made me less interested in trying to figure out what exactly is going on. Um, and then just seeing as in our discussion, all the things that inform Aaron's motives and choices in the final season, as well as like foreshadowing and seeing how characters grow and develop into who we see them as in the final season was just also, it was a, a great thing to see come full circle. And again, I think season one holds its own, even against the behemoth of the final season. 
And I think it, it just still deserves credit for helping to just cement Attack on Titan as a whole as not just an anime classic, but an anime epic. Yeah, I think season one, again, is just, it's a powerhouse. Um, it just allows for the story to blossom from the get-go. And I am so excited. I'm like, it's bittersweet leading up to the final season part three because I'm not ready for this story to end, but I'm so mm -hmm. excited to find out the last bit of lore um, and, and world building that Isayama has left for us. I'm so excited. Do we, do we have a release date yet? I don't think so. I know <sighs> that they have like a special event going on in Japan for the final season next month so i think they will have more details than maybe like a, a a teaser trailer and then come out with a release date i think it's going to be winter 2023 so just right around the corner yeah a lot of rumors are saying early 2023 which makes sense because i think the last two parts of the final season happened right around like december january time frame so yeah i mean that that sounds like it would stay stay the course. But if they need more time to make this last part of the final season even better, I'll wait as long as I need to, as long as it's a perfect conclusion. Mm -hmm. Absolutely. Yes. Uh, willing to wait for what I have uh, been granted and gifted so far, uh, what the Attack on Titan creators have given me. I'm just so thankful for and uh, I, I cannot wait to see what happens next. Yes, absolutely. Mm -hmm. And Brian, thank you as well yes, thank for you. coming back to Strictly Anime, joining us again to talk all about Attack on Titan Season 1, which is not an easy task. It's a lot of information, a lot of episodes, but we really appreciate you taking the time to, to join us and just talk through the insane season that was Season 1 of Attack on Titan. Happy to do it for you guys. That was so much fun. Yeah, absolutely. And um, before we wrap things up, uh, could you please tell everyone where they can listen to TV Trivia Pod and where they can find you on social media? Yes, yes. I have something that I say for this. Let me just pull it up here. Oh, there it is. Okay. I'm ready to go. I'm ready to go. <laughs> uh, hey, everyone. Again, I'm Brian, host of TV and Movie Trivia Pod. Again, it's just a trivia-style podcast focusing on TV and movies. So again, uh, if you enjoy that movie trivia round at uh, your local bar, this is what uh, inspired this podcast here. So again, if you enjoy questions like, what's the name of Michael Scott's screenplay? Or what do you say to view the Marauder's Map? Or what's everyone eating in the post credit scene of Avengers? Then feel free to check this podcast out. Again, uh, you can search for TV and Movie Trivia Pod anywhere you get podcasts, or just search uh, for on all the socials at TV Trivia Pod. Awesome. And all the links, of course, will be in the show notes, so be sure to, to check out the podcast because it's always a great time. We enjoyed our, our time on, on your podcast. Um, the trivia is like both easy and really, really difficult, so I feel like anybody who's like a casual fan to a diehard fan will find questions that sparks their their thought process, and yeah, it's always a great time listening to your show. I appreciate that. I always love having you guys on. And Brian, if you ever do an episode on uh, Attack on Titan, just let us know. Yeah. <laughs> oh, boy, is that, 
Is that asking too much? I know there's so much you can ask trivia on on Attack on Titan, especially yeah. in the later seasons. <laughs> but yes, Holy thank you. Smokes. Thank you again, Brian, for joining us. We love having you on. Hopefully we'll have you on again in the future. And thank you to everybody for tuning into this really important but uh, really meaningful episode of Strictly Anime. And of course, look forward to future episodes in the next month or two where we'll tackle seasons two and seasons, season three of Attack on Titan pretty soon here. Subscribe to Strictly Anime on your favorite podcast service. Join our Discord to chat with us. Follow us on Instagram at The Strictly Series, on Twitter at Strictly Series, and check out our website, thestrictlyseries.com. If you'd like to support the show, then head over to patreon.com slash thestrictlyseries and tune into Strictly Jojo, our other podcast dedicated to Jojo's Bizarre Adventure. All links are in the description. Thank you so much for listening. And as always, stay safe, stay healthy, stay weeb.